This is Dagon123, and welcome to the all-new TenchiCast. everyone and welcome to the next exciting episode of Tenchi Cast, presented by TenchiForum.com and TenchiMuyoWiki.com. You voted. We talked about the best of the best. Now it's time to talk about the bottom of the barrel. The 10 episodes of Tenchi Muyo that are truly the worst of the worst. Now I just want to warn everyone beforehand. TenchiCast has never been one to shy away from letting a live round fly as far as language is concerned. But if you're listening in an office or around children, please put in your earbuds or headphones. Warning, parental discretion is advised for adult language. With all that being said, I have a fantastic cast with me today. Crazed? In the words of Kazuhira Miller from Metal Gear Solid, why is Tenshimuyo Ryooki still here? Just to suffer? Kinda seems that way. And Pi. Liberate tutimet ex inferis. Let's get right to it, gentlemen. Number 10 on the list Tenshi Muyo Ryooki OVA 5 Episode 3. Welcome to Tabletop Island. The characters of the Masaki and Yamada households go to a tropical paradise of Tenshi's training called Tabletop Island. We are shown, but not properly introduced, to the Paradise War characters, the majority of the episode is Kenshi training and everyone lounging with one spot at the end where Tenshi asks a selfish wish. I just want to point out throughout the entirety of OVA 4 and 5, they don't introduce any characters properly at all. They just assume that you know who these characters are. And the Paradise War characters in particular, you hear all of their names once. The girl with the Yu-Gi-Oh hair, the like brown gray hair and then the pink puffs coming off of it they say her name one time Aaliyah at the very beginning and then never again and they never bring up why or who these characters are or what their associations are with I think the exception of Palti. You hear Durd's name a few times and the only reason I know her is because I was into the Pirate Guild stuff during GXP because, well, I am a pirate and of all things, I remember her being associated with like Terrence, Pirate Guild and GXP. She's like some distant relation of his or something. You hear her name a few times and there's one blonde character from Paradise War who you do not get her name in this episode at all. Uh, she's all over the place and she's got a lab coat on. You find out a lot of personality quirks about her and traits about her and her position of power and whatnot. But name? Nah, nah, it'll be fine. You don't need to know her name or anything. That's not important. Yeah, she's not named. But the one thing they do go out of their way to let you know is that she's apparently a nymphomaniac. And she's also, as you kind of alluded to, Pi, um... She's become Earth's prime minister, who is responsible for representing Earth amongst the, the greater galaxy. And we might as well go ahead and get this out of the way now. This episode and most of the episodes on this list, particularly the ones that come from OVAs 4 and 5. For example, the reason you're not given 
a lot of these new characters names right out of the gate or, you know, when they will talk about certain things and make references to things, it goes over a lot of people's heads. And the reason for that, obviously, is because, well, OVA 4 came out in 2016. OVA 5 came out in, I believe, 2019. And at that point, a fair amount of GXP novels have been written. I think there's almost 20 of those now. And obviously the three Paradise War novels had been a thing by this point. So you're just expected to know all of the extra material from primarily the novels. Better hope you uh, know Japanese because otherwise a lot of this will fly over your head. And here's the thing. Having all of this stuff in the background is not necessarily a bad thing, but at least with OVA 3, they made an attempt to say like when Misao came in, they're like, oh, this is obviously Mihoshi's brother. He does this. This is his place in the GP Academy. And this is Mishisu. And she does this in the GP Academy. And so you could have some kind of connection to these characters. Or, oh, even even Noike. Oh, this is Noike. She's Mihoshi's longtime partner. She's Seto's daughter. Like, they give you a little bit. It's still, you're still kind of rubbing your head going, what is going on? But at the very least, they make an attempt to ingratiate you to these people. Focusing on this episode in particular, it's one thing if you kind of have an idea of who these characters are from GXP. But with Paradise War, there's not been an anime. There's only been three novels. They're a spinoff of a spinoff. And so you're just like, can you explain? Like, who is this person? What is their... What, what is their relation? What are they doing? And to kind of go off of something that was really happening, you know, what was going on with all of OVA 4 and 5, they have the time to do it. The majority of this episode in particular is just either people lounging, still shots of nothing, and or it's Kenshi having fun. And I'm not against Kenshi having fun, except that the show is called Tenchi Muyo Ryo Oki. One thing I really want to point out in terms of introducing characters and whatnot was that what you have here is a cold open. And this is something I noticed through OVAs 4 and 5 more so, a little bit in OVA 3, but you don't usually have cold opens. OVA 1 and 2 were back in the era when cold opens weren't really a thing. You had the opening introduction, you had the title card, you had a nice little montage of characters as the opening music played, and then you got into the episode. You didn't really have a cold open like you have in, say, modern television, where you have a inciting incident right before the opening theme song, then have the opening theme song and title card, and then get into the main bulk of the episode. OVA 4 and 5, and to a lesser extent OVA 3, have that more modern structure where you have a cold open in into an opening into the main bulk of the episode. This episode's cold open specifically threw me for a loop. And the reason being is because the cold open to this, from what I can understand, just eyeballing it and getting context clues through this episode and the next episode, the cold open to this episode is the ending of Paradise War. It starts out with an interstellar incident with a, quote, third Earthling, a third Terran human after Sena and Fanaho. They literally say this in the subtitles, by the way. Two white cabots, Washu in her goddess form, and Tenshi, who pops in to capture and scare off an entire armada of pirates who are apparently attacking in earthly settlements, this tabletop island thing, which was introduced in the previous episode by basically saying how it's constructed and 
it's going to have a dry and tree at the core of it is basically going to be a dry and ship, but it's going to be designed to split into two pieces. It's like, okay, cool. I'm nice that you're trying to steal the Enterprise D's uh, design specifications. That's cool. What happened between the construction of this thing to suddenly it's under attack with all these people that I don't know about in the middle of it? Who are these people? What are these people? What has happened? And then after the cold open, get the introduction, and then suddenly, okay, uh, everyone's fine. We're all running around. Everybody knows each other. Oh, here's about 20 million names, maybe said about once. Uh, what happened? What's the fallout of this? Oh, no, we're just going to have a beach party? Cool. Aces. You got my excitement up for what now? Oh, nothing? Thanks for wasting my time. Looking at my notes. OVA 5, Episode 3 does something that I don't remember exactly the movie. I want to attribute it to Manos, The Hands of Fate, because I feel like Mystery Science Theater made a joke at this. Sorry, I don't remember exactly. But the trope, or I guess the idiom is, never make fun of or put something on screen that's a better movie than you if you're bad. And the point that I'm referencing is, again, I, I think it's Manos, The Hands of Fate, where they have on the screen Citizen Kane, and they point to Citizen Kane in the movie. Well, if your movie sucks and you're pointing to one of the greatest movies of all time, all that's going to do is tell the viewer, oh, why am I watching this piece of garbage when I could be watching one of the greatest movies of all time? OVA 5 Episode 3 does that. When Ryoko is on the beach and Tenchi walks over to her and they start talking, Ryoko references her time under Kagato. And they flash back to the destruction of Jirai scene from OVA1. And they, I say animate in quotation marks because it's literally just a still picture with, I think, some like effects on the side. And you're three episodes into OVA5 and you are seven episodes into basically the Kenshi Goes to Geminar prequel. And you realize... What is this? The thing that I'm watching right now is supposedly connected to OVA1. The thing that literally got so many people into Tenshi Muyo, whether that was through Toonami or in Japan, this thing that so many people look back to as having great animation and great characterization and almost unanimously across the board, as we talked about in our best of the best, everybody loves it. And you're going to flashback to this masterpiece and this piece of shit like why am i watching this all you're doing is just showing how badly and how far you've fallen by doing that and then the other point that i want to make with that fucking <laughs> the fact that tenchi says that he's envious of Sena because of his harem that's a joke yeah i mean it's no real surprise that just because of that alone, this episode made the list. No GXP episode made the top 10, which does surprise me a little bit, but it also doesn't because, well, you know, it's a spinoff of Tenchi, so you can disassociate uh, GXP with the rest of the OVA a little bit. And I understand that, but GXP is generally not held in very high regard, even by Kajishima himself. So having Tenchi admit that he's jealous of Sena is not really a good look. <laughs> Sena is supposed to be, at least in theory anyway, looked at as this very pitiable character. You know, he when he fails, he fails upwards. But having Tenchi be jealous of Sena, not a good look. And the other thing too is that, you know, when 
Tenchi and Ryoko are having this somewhat tender moment on the beach. It gets interrupted by Ayaka, which, you know, you would expect to happen, fair enough. But then the rest of the girls show up and they basically put Tenchi on the spot and they're like, look, we all want to be with you. This is how we all feel. And if you were holding out hope for whatever reason that uh, the harem ending wouldn't come to fruition or he'd ultimately pick one of the girls, it's like, well, this locks in the harem ending. No questions asked, pretty much. So those two things by themselves, I can see what made uh, the top two. I got two things to say about this. And the main thing is that, yes, Tenshi gets confronted by the girls. This is how they feel and whatnot. And Tenshi, quote, makes his decision, which, by the way, is off screen on this episode. It gets circled back around to in a later episode. But in this episode specifically, you literally get uh, blue balled in the sense that he looks like he's about to pop the question, cut to black. And no fulfillment. You don't get to see that moment now. No, no. Also, the impetus as to why he actually decides to pop the question to everyone, and moreover, why he makes this particular decision, is not truly his agency either. He doesn't choose this decision because he's getting pressured to. No, 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 no. As mentioned before, he's jealous of Sena, who's already married and with several wives at this point. But more so, the blonde woman that we were mentioned before, who doesn't even get her name dropped in this episode. Her name is Mirren, by the way, if you're curious, just to make life a little bit nicer here going forward. Her name gets dropped in the following episode, in episode four. But she, the person who is apparently the prime minister of the planet and also is a nymphomaniac and has her grandfather had like 30 wives or some nonsense. Some of them were nice to her and treated her well, I'm sure, as she admits to herself. She actually is the one that seems to put this idea into Tenshi's head. She asks Tenshi if he is married and Tenshi says he hasn't decided. And what he does is he gets advised by her, figure out his feelings and talk to everybody about it. And you see how everybody feels about it. And uh, if the spirit moves you, in the end, just have them all, apparently. Yeah, no conflict, no no decision, no grand vision. Instead of breaking some hearts and actually going for one decision, no, 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 just have them all. Because you can. And here's another funny thing about that is they keep saying that it's Earth's tradition to be monogamous. No, it's not. Let me go ahead and say this loud and proud right now. There are cultures on this planet that are polygamous. There are specific religions and specific cultures that frown upon polygamy. Yes. However, there are many cultures and many religions and many countries on this planet that allow polygamy. If you don't want to be frowned upon for polygamy, maybe you don't be in that country. I mean, Tenshi, you are basically a god at this point, given all the stuff we see throughout these two OVAs. You could live wherever on this planet you wanted. You basically have claimed this planet as your own domain. You can live wherever you want. You don't have to be frowned upon in Japan for being polygamous. Hell, you could change the laws, considering what Yosho does in the very next episode. But in terms of writing, look at OVA 4 and 5, just as a prelude to the mess we're about to get into. There is a type of writing in comics, specifically, called decompressed storytelling. In theory, decompression is basically a stylistic choice where you put a strong emphasis on visuals and character interaction, which, on the other hand, sadly, means that your pace of your plots gets very, very slow. This came up in the 80s and in the 90s and the early 2000s because of things like the Spider-Man clone saga, when they started really drawing out stories. 
Now, here's the thing. A lot of this is frowned upon because it says it's being written for the trade. It's essentially being written so that when you bind these all together into a graphic novel, you have a good-sized graphic novel you can put on the shelf and say, hey, I've bought a graphic novel. It's worth my buck. As opposed to looking at the individual issues where every individual issue maybe moves the plot along by like one plot point, like say one chapter of a actual novel, as opposed to giving you a fulfilling story all at once. So look at OVA 3, 4, and 5. One thing I'll give OVA 3, it tells a story. Like it or not, it tells a story and gets over with and moves on. OVA 4 is literally a coda to OVA 3. OVA 4, for the most part, is set about three days before the last episode of OVA 3, and then its last episode jumps forward several years when Kenshi's a kid and they're about to send him to Geminar. OVA 5 starts briefly at the end of OVA 4, then takes place over that time between when Kenshi's a boy and when Kenshi's sent to Geminar. It's a coda to OVA 4. So you're literally doing the decompression. You're taking like the last chunk of the last OVA and extending it to four or six episodes. You're decompressing the last OVA you just did. Why would you do that? Just tell your story in one shot. Don't go back and expand on something that you've already told. You've already told it. Unless there's a story to tell in that spot that actually is fulfilling and moves the characters forward in some meaningful way, don't do that. That doesn't make sense. Why would you go back and do that? Also, before we move on, just one more thing to mention about this episode. I don't think it's a secret to anybody that OVA 4 and 5 don't exactly have the best quality animation, particularly 5. And this episode really gives you a good example of that. There's a, a scene of Tenshi and Kenshi running through the forest trying to hunt down breakfast for everybody. And Tenshi is basically Naruto running through the trees, but not really because it's only like three frames of animation and... Uh, his feet never touch any of the tree branches. Oh my god. <laughs> I almost forgot about that. It's funny too because like if you see that out of context, you're like, wow, this is really bad. And then you actually look at the animation leading up to it where they do like the face down shot and it, it's brutal. And then you get to the point where Tenchi's jumping through the trees and you could see what they wanted to do. But at that point, they were probably just in fuck it mode and... He completely misses the tree that he's supposed to be jumping off of. The, the only thing I could think of when he's doing it is like, my people need me. And they just like tween animation him into the next scene. Oh, man. These are not in-between shots. Those are keyframes. And again, these are also OVAs with supposedly OVA quality budget. You know, regardless of how you may feel about I, Tenchi Muyo, it has its faults. Don't get me wrong. But a bunch of college kids pulled off better animation than what's in OVA5, especially. Say what you will about Dragon Ball Super or Sailor Moon Crystal. A lot of them ended up getting animated by like interns on shoestring budgets for an ONA or a TV series that was broadcast on the internet. I mean, I get why they end up having bad in-between art. They, however, did not have the budget that an OVA has. Or should have, at least. Moving on. Number nine on our list. Tenchi Muyo, Ryo Oki, OVA 3, Episode 2, Fiance. Tenchi's sister, Tenyo, is introduced as who we are believed to be from the previous episode, his long-dead mother. And she looks exactly like their mother, and is here to announce Tenchi's fiance. And more GXP characters are introduced, 
And we are also introduced to Tenchi's fiance, Noike, Kamiki, Jirai, Mihoshi's longtime partner. I can't imagine why this episode would be on the top 10 worst with a name like Fiance in a show where everyone at this point, especially by the time we got to OVA3, was fighting over who was going to be the one to get with Tenchi. If there was a checklist of ways to not introduce a character, characters, ways to not introduce a plot point, this episode checks off every one of those boxes. I mean, first off, at this point, again, nobody knew what Tenchi's mother's name was in the OVA. So you're hit with Kione from Nobuyuki right off the bat. And you're like, wait, wait, who's he talking about? And then Tenyo, who we again find out later is Tenyo, like gut punches him as he would react. Because, of course, the gag is, of course, that, oh, my God, you know, Tenchi's mother is back. Just kidding. Uppercuts him into the thing. And we find out that she's actually his 80-year-old sister who no one has ever seen before, who no one's ever talked about before, except Nobuyuki, who just conveniently didn't tell Tenchi. And, oh, man, yeah. I'm going to tell you a story. Back when I was... 23, 24, 25, when OVA3 was coming out, I was in graduate school. And of course, I watched a lot of Tenshi, all of OVA 1 and 2, all of Universe, a smattering of Tokyo, all three movies through the 90s and into the early 2000s as I was in college. When I was in graduate school, I heard there was a new OVA of Tenshi coming out. And there was this thing called a torrent that had just started becoming popular. Kazaa and LimeWire were being used, but this new thing called a torrent was starting to come up. And I was like, you know what? It's not licensed yet. I'm going to go get myself a sneak peek of this show. So I go and torrent the episodes as they're coming out. I remember watching OVA3 episode one on my laptop back in the day and going, okay, this is, the animation's different. They're strangely reusing assets from OVA 1 and 2 rather than just reanimating it like most quote remakes would do when they're revisiting flashing back of things but okay cool whatever and then they mentioned Tenchi's mother's name was Kiyoni Masaki and I'm like okay that's strange since it's been established in other media that it's Ajika Masaki but okay different universe I can I can live with this moving on okay and then the very end of the episode they're making a big deal of all through the first episode that Tenchi lost his mother, Tenchi asks his father a very awkward question for a young man, which is, why did mom die? And you see Nobuyuki stutters on the word. He's like, we'll talk about it later. He'll talk about it later. You have the scene where Nobuyuki talks to his father-in-law, to, to Katsuhito, to Yosho, his wife's father, and says, we need to eventually talk to Tenchi about this. And the time is coming. We have many things to talk to Tenchi about. Lots of things need to be explained. It's like, yeah, we'll, we'll do it soon. We'll do it soon. You have all this building up. And of course, you know, his mother's dead. You know that this is going somewhere. They're finally going to broach Tenchi's mother's death in this series. And as someone who loves Tenchi Muyo in love, Tenchi's mother being killed by Kane and all the things like that. And he, hell, I remember reading at one point that in Kazagawa's novels, it's mentioned that something happened with Tenshi and his mother with the Lighthawk wings, that she tried to inherit Funaho and it went wrong. There's all sorts of whispers of what happened to Tenshi's mother in the OVA and from different writers. And I'm like, 
we're, we're finally going to see that. We're finally, we're, this is finally going to happen. And then we get to the end of the episode and there's a knock at the door and Ryoko goes down. She thinks it's Misaki and they reference back to OVA 2 and it's like, oh, funny, funny. And then she gets creeped out. She Sadako's through a monitor in the top room, which I think is why they actually ended up building that computer was so that they can actually have a screen up there for her to do the Sadako thing coming out of the television. But anyway, Tenshi eventually goes down the stairs. And there, in soft focus, in shining light, is the vision of his mother. And he fades to white, and he says, uh, Okasan? And I'm like, oh shit, we're doing this. And I had to wait. I had to wait until the second episode was released before I could torrent it. I waited. I speculated. The fandom was a buzz of, is that actually his mother? Oh my god, what's going on? Next episode starts, and... You see Tenshi collapse. He meets his mother. Why? Where have you been all this time? What happened? And she's trying to explain, well, you don't, it's not what you think. It's not what you understand. Then Nobuyuki comes down. I'm like, I'm cracking up, man. I'm cracking up. Because what if that happened to my mom? And I'm like, and I suddenly saw her one day. And uh, just all these feelings, emotions. And then suddenly she punches Nobuyuki, uppercuts him into the lake. And then she turns around and giggles. Just your sister Tenyo, and I'm like, wait, what? And I'm gonna tell you right now, from that moment forward, I shut down. I will freely admit my expectations were subverted. Oh my god, were my expectations subverted? Because from that moment forward, I did not give a damn about this anymore. I trudged my way through torrenting the rest of OVA3 because there were a couple other high points here and there, which we'll, we'll mention along the way in not only this episode, but the next one as well. But from this moment forward, everything that I was told that I believed was true from OVA1 and OVA2 and ancillary media was told to be false. And at some point, it starts feeling disingenuous. It starts feeling like gaslighting that everything you know is wrong, that everything you've, you've believed is totally false. And yeah, I felt this in other shows. And you know what happens when that happens in other shows? The fans tune out and say, I don't care about this anymore. And I'm not going to lie. I remember distinctly reading a friend of mine's blog post in 2006, and he wrote extensively on how this particular OVA broke the fandom right down the middle. People who praised it and loved it and said it was everything that, quote, Japan wanted to actually see. This is the true stuff. And there were people who said, not, that's not it, dog. We had all this other stuff that we loved. What happened to it? There was a big fight of, oh, all that other stuff is wrong. That all the stuff that's coming out now in the OVA, that's true. That's real. And everything you know is wrong. And you must feel it's wrong. And you should know it's wrong. And that's never sit well with me. Not only does this OVA basically spit in the face of how everything has been presented up until this point, but also the way that a lot of people felt about it and essentially said that this overwrites everything you've ever said and everything else is invalid. No, that's not how that works. Because let me list off a few other series that have done the exact same thing. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Transformers, He-Man, especially He-Man right now with uh, two series that are currently airing Netflix, Master of the Universe Revelation and He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. They don't agree on everything, but they're allowed to coexist perfectly fine with no problem. 
And that's actually something that I will point at this episode specifically at actually causing Intenshi Muyo. It caused a rift, not just in the way characters are portrayed, but in the fandom, in the way fans relate to the series. This episode broke a lot of people and broke a lot of friendships. It's no real surprise that this episode makes the top 10, obviously because of the reveal of Tenyo, the way in which it was done. And as Pai mentioned a minute ago, the subversion of expectations. In other continuities, Tenchi's mother's death and her absence was always taken fairly seriously, particularly in universe and by the time you got to the first In Love movie. It was a big deal for Tenchi to go back in time and actually see his mother when she was still alive in that continuity. And then for that to get played up in the first episode of OVA 3 here, showing that, oh my God, she's actually still alive. And then, well, no, not actually. What you thought was really his mother's actually his 80-year-old sister in the next episode. Yeah, it subverted expectations, but really not in a good way. On the topic of subverting expectations, I think this episode in particular makes the list for another reason that maybe not a lot of people think about. OVAs 3, 4, and 5, they do a lot of that. Kajishima does a lot of present you one thing or reference something from the older OVAs and go, the thing you've known for a long time or that you've always thought was this way, well, it's not actually how it is. It's actually like this. And if you keep pulling that trick over and over and over again now for decades at this point, like Pi said, people are going to tune out. They're going to get annoyed. They're just going to stop tuning in because what's the point of forcing everybody to go read all this extra material, all these novels, even as doujins, to then have it get spun around on you and go, well, that's not actually how it was. And this episode was really the first one to do that, and it's stuck ever since. You know, it was the bellwether. It was the first one, really, where you got a taste of that, and it's really never stopped ever since the early 2000s. Also talking about, you know, lists, I put this on my list as among the top worst for specifically all of the reasons that you guys have said so far. But also, if you look at the way that OVE3 was treated especially, like, it was used to promote GXP. Because if you look at Tenyo, when she's introduced, she treats everybody from OVA2 backwards like garbage. Like, she just treats them like they don't even exist. But when it comes to Irie, when it comes to Seto, when it comes to anybody from GXP, anybody who's from that, she's a completely different character. And one of the things that really stuck out with me, because I went back and rewatched these for the worst of the worst cast, and I totally forgot this because I had watched it in a couple years, because why in the fuck would you? is when Ryoko and Aieka, who act predictably as Ryoko and Aieka would to another woman, doesn't matter her relation, getting close to Tenshi and being lovey-dovey with him. Tenshi, of course, being the one exception to the I hate you rule. Just before Irie gets introduced, she says, oh yeah, no, I'm here to show you your fiancé, Tenshi. And Ryoko and Aieka just freak out. And by the way, I watched this dubbed again. God, whew, that was also brutal. Ryoko's acting like Ryoko. And Tenyo looks at her coldly and says, this was decided before either of you were in the picture. And that's the moment where you realized that, like, Tenchi Muyo's done. <laughs> Ryoko and Aieka, who are the two main girls 
Forget whatever harem fantasies you have. Let's be real. The two main girls just got shut down by a brand new character that nobody's ever seen before that wasn't in GXP. And they're basically told they don't matter. There's not a thing they can do to stop this. Right after that, Irie gets shown to people. And now here's the thing. You would know who Irie was if you watched GXP. Most people didn't watch GXP because they looked at the front cover and they looked at any trailer and they said, nah, this ain't Matenchi. For better or for worse, it's a spinoff. This doesn't concern me. So they wouldn't know who she was. Irie pops in, and of course the joke is that, oh, Irie, uh, this is Tenchi's fiance, but Irie came first instead of the fiance, who we'll get to in a second. And Ryoko goes, oh, who's that old hag? Irie gets up and slaps her like 12 times and just lays her out. And then Ryoko says something again, and she gets slapped down again. I'm reminded of a scene from Ai Tenchi Muyo where... Benny and Ryoko, Benny of course being the new girl, Ryoko the classic, the OG, the main event, the showstopper, they show up and they have an arm wrestling contest. And you know what I love about that scene? And I've sung its praises forever. That's how you introduce a new character with while respecting the old one. Ryoko looks strong, Benny looks strong. It's DBZ. It's, it's literally how DBZ makes new characters look good against Goku because even though you know how powerful Goku is and you know that Goku's gonna win they still find a way to make new bad guys feel menacing they did that with Aitenshi Muyo with Benny and Ryoko and that contest Ryoko never looked weak Benny never looked weak you respected him you still felt like Benny had presence all of it was good the first time that you see Irie in OVA 3, she slaps down the fan favorite, and it's just like, well, that's Irie. And Washu's like, huh, that's actually the uh, Academy slap technique. Motherfucker, like, Ryoko destroyed Jirai. Really? It's stuff like that that just shows the expectation was of like, nah, these the older characters are literally going to lay down. As Pi said once upon a time, and I'm sure we've said in the OVA 3 cast, you know, like 10 years ago now. She got warped, and this happens consistently throughout OVA 3. But then, having said all of that, we get to know Ike, Tenchi's fiance, who again, you would know if you watch GXP. You wouldn't know necessarily right off the bat that it was his fiance, or maybe you would, I don't remember, and I don't care. All that matters is Tenchi Muyorioki. And so we find out that Noike is a green-haired woman who is Mihoshi's longtime partner. And for a lot of people, that was yet another, not only subversion of expectation, but they go, where's Kione Makibi? Who is this character? Why is she, not only why is she Tenchi's fiance, why is she Mihoshi's longtime partner? But then you start seeing she literally exists to be better than everyone else. She's the straight man to Mihoshi's goofiness. She can help Tenchi in the fields. She knows when Ryooki's going to get hurt. She helps Sasami in the kitchen. She has a, the demeanor of a perfect housewife and on and on and on. It does nothing for the old characters. And there's, again, that weird kind of like putting down of Ryoko and Aika. When they're sitting at the table, when they're first eating, and Sasami's like, I learned everything I did from Seto. And you're just like, man, even Sasami can't win. You know, like Ryoko gets basically killed with kindness Ryoko's was like ah, bah, bah, why would i do that and you know no it says well that's what a good wife or whatever would do that's what a good person would do this would help get everything done quicker and it's just like i get the point of why she said that but i mean it's tenchi fucking muyo fitting every character into the same harem 
I need to collect them all box doesn't work. It's never worked. And any harem that does it is worse off for it, not better. Aika, God bless Aika. The what last time that she had a personality and wasn't a doorstop, she still was like, if Ryoko couldn't do it, I'll try and do it in my way. And that literally gets hand waved away in two seconds when Noike's like, would you like some more to drink or tea? And she's like, oh, well, I guess I'm done for. Good God. Also, the first time that they're all sitting down eating together, she's very mean to Mahoshi. And you might say, well, Kione and her partner in the other continuities could get mean with her too. And it's like, yeah, but usually she'd just get annoyed more than anything. And that's really the first interaction that the two of them have in the anime. And it's just like, wow, really? It just kind of goes to show that she can be a bit of a bitch if she wants to be. You know, she also very much tries to be the good housewife and tries to get the other girls to fall in line. She's going to show them how it's done, basically. It kind of reminds me of this episode of American Dad where Roger decides he's going to run a brothel. Basically, he dresses up as a madam and all these hookers walk into the house. The first thing Roger tells him is he's like, all right, all you bitches are going to get on my menstrual cycle and it starts next Wednesday. And it's just kind of like, well, the week is kind of sort of doing that. Like I'm the queen hen around here and this is the new pecking order and you better get used to it. So Irik shows up, slaps Ryoko in the face multiple times, lays her out flat. The being who took down Jirai's entire space force, took down their defenses, ravaged their planet, caused their prince to have to leave, all that drama from OVA 1. She gets laid out by Yosho's wife from the Science Academy. A philosopher, a teacher, just lays Ryoko, the badass space pirate who wrecked Jirai in like 20 hits. Yeah, I believe that, totally. But, here's the thing. Dagon mentioned that it's, oh, the Neo Academy style. And Washu and Irie have a moment. Washu doesn't get Worf like Ryoko does. Or Ayaka does. Doesn't, no. Washu, oddly enough, somewhat gets respect through OVA3, which is peculiar, because a lot of characters don't. But they mention, in this little back and forth, that this is the Neo Academy style, that melee fights would break out between philosophers and academics, and they'd have to essentially determine who's right by whose fists are stronger. And I'm like, that's not how that works. That's not how that works at all. I've been in academic debates. I've had academic debates. I have won academic debates. You don't win them with your fists. You win them with logic and reasoning. This is a pathetic impersonation of what an academic fight would be. It's conflating the word argument as in a shouting match with the logical word argument, which is a reasoned explanation of how something works. It's conflating terms, and I find this reprehensible because not only does it degrade the actual prowess of getting an academic degree, the actual study and effort it goes into getting an education, but it devolves it down into just punching at each other. What is this? And let's keep going with this particular little train of thought here. This is going to come up again because something that crops up in OVA 5 with training Kenshi, the same thing happens. Some terms end up getting conflated, and I have words to say about that. But let's stick with this. So Irie has this melee fighting style and whatnot. Okay. She's also revealed to be Katsuhito's official wife, except JK not really, as OVA 5 tells us later. But she's Yosho's wife. Uh, rewind back to OVA 2. Last episode of OVA2, sixth episode of OVA2, Azusa walks up to his son. The Emperor of Jirai walks up to his uh, wayward prince, his prodigal son, and says, 
I'm not going to speak with him because he married that earthling. Okay, is Irie from Earth? No, she's not. Okay, then who was the earthling that Yosho married? Interesting. Notice that she's not mentioned in this particular scene at all. The two scenes from OVA 2 and this scene in OVA 3 seemed on the surface to contradict each other. That in OVA 2 says that Yosho married an earthling, and that's part of why Azusa doesn't want to talk with him, which of course, how would he know? Later on, it's mentioned that Yosho sent a secret missive to Seto so that she knew that everything was cool, but nobody else did. Okay, fine, whatever. But here's the thing. Yosho's supposed to be married to an Earthling, and in this, he's married to Irie, who's at the Academy, who's from a planet called <laughs> Irai, because that's totally not just playing with words or anything. So here's the thing with Irie. Who's this Earthling? Who's this person that Yosho was supposed to be married to? I remember having a debate with that on Tenchi Forum back in the day and getting into a very heated argument about it. And what I was told to do was read the novels. The novels explain everything. Okay, here's a problem. At the time, those novels were not translated into English. So again, decompressed storytelling, expanded universe kind of stuff. How much ancillary material do I need to read in order to make sense of just the anime? That's the thing. There's a logical contradiction if you have just the anime. The novel, as it turns out, does explain who this Earthling is. So some woman named Kasumi who gets mentioned, I think, briefly in OVA 4. But here's the thing. If you don't know who that is, this makes no sense. And again, if it makes no sense, why am I watching it? And moreover, if it beats up on the characters I actually do care about, why do I want to take the effort to go and find out about these characters I don't care about? Then, Irie also, later on, turns out she has some <clears throat> trigger words. If you call her grandmother, she pretends to beat you into a bloody pulp. She gets very angry. This is something that's established in GXP. If you call her an old hag or essentially anything referring to her age. Okay, so Tenshi astutely asks, well, what should I call you? And she says, well, call me Miss Irie or something. For some reason, OVA3 decides to put in the subtitles the honorifics. So he says Irie-sama, so Lady Irie. She then proceeds to attempt to seduce Tenshi, and just in the nick of time, just before she's basically about to French kiss him, in front of her husband, by the way, Irie stops herself and is like, no, oh, 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 no, 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 that was, that was too close. Just Irie-sama, I'll be fine. And I'm like... How unstable do you have to be? And that's another thing that I find with a lot of characters that are introduced from this point forward. A lot of them are lunatics. They are basically the most extreme personalities. You, you have nobody with any kind of temperance in any of this. And then, let's talk about Noike a minute. So, Noike, what do we know about her? Green hair, galaxy police officer. Okay, it doesn't stop there. She was in the... Galaxy Army, it turns out. She was a nurse. She is Seto's adopted daughter. She has a secret third-generation Jiraiyan tree ship that has the power of a second-generation Jiraiyan tree ship. So she has all of this litany of things that are attributed to her and no one else. And most characters usually have one thing they're good at. So Ryoko attacked Jirai. She's a space pirate. Aika's the crown princess of Jirai. She has all these legal ties and the bureaucracy and the politic. And she has the responsibility of carrying the family forward. Sasami is connected to Tsunami. She's connected to the Jirai's creator god. You have Washu, who's a genius scientist, and turns out she's connected to a god and all this. Most people usually have their one niche. However, Noike covers every niche. She's GP. She's Galaxy Army. She's a nurse. She's a daughter of one of the royal houses. She's got her own special tree ship that's more special than the other tree ships. You have all these different aspects, and there's only one word that comes to mind when I hear something like this. And I'm going to say it. Mary Sue. 
There is a term in fan fiction called Mary Sue, and I've dabbled my fair bit of fan fiction as well. It dates back to the old Star Trek days in the early 70s when they started writing fan fictions. And one of the fan fictions that was written at the time had a character by the name of Mary Sue who everybody loved, who did everything right, who Kirk falls in love with, that Spock falls in love with, and had to fight over her. A character that's usually an idealized self-insert of themselves. Noe Kay fits all of the same boxes as the character Mary Sue from 1973. You brought up the thing about Irie, and it wasn't until you brought this up that I actually kind of laughed at it. I see why they did what they did with Irie by saying, oh, she's an academic, and in order to get through to those academics, sometimes you have to use brute force because otherwise they'll just talk. That's how we settle discussions. You know what the hilarious irony of that is? There's literally no actual conflict in the Masaki house that's anything like that. Somebody like Irie, you think, would be used to that. And you would think that somebody like Ryoko and her, that they would want to settle it out in the dirt, outside. Let's take this outside if you want to do something about it. That never happens. Despite the fact that Irie just says, oh, I'm used to that. That's how we do things. And I'm just like, apparently not, because that never happens. <laughs> Yeah, let's actually have a roll in the dirt. I'd like to see how that goes. Just Ryoko full strength against Irie's martial arts technique. Come on, she can blow a planet up. Or at the very least, let's just see it. No no talking, no, uh, I'm just going to immediately beat somebody. Show me something. That actually is one of the big crimes of OVA 3, 4, and 5 in Toto. All of them have this problem. Show, don't tell. There's a lot of sitting and talking, and oh, trust me, we're going to get to the sitting and the talking before this is over with. But there's a lot of sitting and talking and explaining. Where's the space battles? One thing I will give OVA 3 is that you actually have Tenshi and Zed actually in space doing stuff with magic swords and shit. It's not great, but it's there. There's so much sitting and talking, and there's nothing that gets done. It's for nothing. My notes, I have pages on notes here. I might scan them later. I've got pages of notes, and for several entire episodes of OVA 4 and 5, there's like a page of notes of character appears, character does this, next scene, character appears, character does this, character says this, next scene where there's nothing said there's nothing of there's nothing of substance happening it's just explaining stuff that honestly in some cases either doesn't need to be explained or there's not enough explanation to tie things together because you have to read ancillary material kajishima's actually been pretty forthcoming about the way he wants tenshi to be and what he wants you to take away from it with the titles of the episodes we're going to get to some of these a bit later, but I think actually the next one up on the list was another episode of OVA3, uh, Final Confrontations. And what you need to take away from that, Kajishima, on multiple different occasions, says that he is not the big fan of conflict in his storytelling. In his opinion, he feels as though conflict gets in the way of telling the actual story that he wants to tell. So, yes, OVA3 did have some conflicts. The one thing you can give it above four and five. But Kadashima said back in his old interview from 2001 that if you ever got the chance to do an OVA four or five, there would be no conflict because he didn't want it anywhere near his story because it, he felt like it was just going to get in the way. So that's why OVA four and five are the way they are. That's why it's sitting and talking and not much else. Number eight, Tenchimuyo Ryooki. OVA 3 Special, also known as Episode 7, Final Confrontations. 
one more universal reset and the world is back-ish to the way it was before. Now we finally get to find out what happened to Tenchi's mother. For real. And it is not what anyone thought it would be. Tenchi runs off to Ryoko's cave, and Rea and Noike go to tell Tenchi that his memories are not as they seemed. And that is putting it really, really, really lightly. Oh, man. Putting it up here on the top worst of the worst is a no-brainer, and I'm glad everybody voted for it. I mean, we just got done talking about just one episode of OVA3 at the very beginning of it. This episode, to me, this is just me personally. This, to me, is probably the worst episode of Tenchi Muyo, period. I remember watching this for the first time after Funimation had dubbed it and it had been released. And they had to wait some time, by the way, for anybody who wasn't around during that time. The reason that Funimation did not finish dubbing it or releasing everything was because at the time that they had licensed it, they thought OVA3 was done. And then as they were dubbing it and they got the license, Final Confrontations came out and they were like, oh no, we have to wait a little bit so we can release this all together because why wouldn't you? You know, like you don't want to release something incomplete and releasing single episode OVAs at that time was just, you know, relatively unheard of. And I was already, as Pi had said, I was pretty checked out by the end of OVA 3. Oh, man. You see Kione Masaki, who is supposed to be this calm, sweet, gentle character. This character that everybody has this idolization of. Because she is the tragic character. She's the character that Tenchi, in every continuity, in every medium... Every single person who's ever touched Tenchi Muyo and done something with it has always portrayed Tenchi's mother as the tragic character. In many ways, she's gave up her life for Tenchi. And this episode goes, JK, actually she was a lunatic. Actually, she was crazy. Actually, all of those memories that you know that Pi was talking about earlier, all of that stuff that is now being attributed to Tenyo... That was not only not real, but that was a specific thing made up by Kione herself and was made into a script that Nobuyuki and everyone would follow, co-penned by Irie, and Tenchi loses his shit and says, how could you make a joke about my dead mother like that? It's awful. You want to talk about subverting expectations now, that's spitting in your face. Because the theme with Kajushima is, this may not be what you think it is, but deal with it. That's literally, literally what Yosho, Rea, and Noike tell Tenchi. Ah, well, you know, your memories aren't real. You didn't really know who she was. We did. Get good. Abysmal. Horrible. Bullshit. Not only that, but Tenchi runs off after he gets told all this to... Ryoko's cave and him going to the cave you would almost expect oh I don't know Ryoko to come and comfort him but no it's Noike and Rea and as uh, they're telling him all this you get flashbacks to another time when Tenchi's a kid and he just wakes up and there's a scene of his mother cooking but then his mother changes into Rea. Eventually, Tenji just says, the image of my mother that I had in my head, I just imprinted 
you onto that, Rhea. It, you were actually really my mother this whole time, which is really weird in a way, especially now having seen OVAs 4 and 5, Kione basically bringing her in, raising her, really ultimately to replace her. Very ironic. I don't know. It's just a shame because having someone tell you that your mother was actually a batshit old woman, crazy lunatic in front of everybody. Of course, Tenchi's going to feel embarrassed, lied to, hurt, ashamed even. But no, it's just played for gags at the end. The other thing that just absolutely bothers me is I had forgotten this too, because again, I remember the high points, but it's been a long time since I'd watched OVA3. When Rhea goes to Tenchi, she almost gets mad at him for believing that his memories of his mother are the way it is. Because she goes, oh, well, you know, I really knew how she was. And Tenchi goes, that wasn't my mother. And then she goes, well, I feel sorry for her because that's not the real Kione. Like, I know. And I was just like, are you fucked? Are you serious? Are you are you really serious right now? Getting to Noike's bullshit when <laughs> Noike, in an act of comfort, if you will, basically goes up to Tenchi and goes, Hey, I don't want to brag, but my life sucked worse than yours. And I'm I I remember watching it recently and back then and I just remember thinking like who wrote this? Who who did a human being write this? Like did a psychopath who has never met human beings write this? If you have empathy for people, you don't one up somebody when they are literally going through a life-changing event. Nuike goes, oh, well, you know, you think your mom is bad. My mom left me in an orphanage and they didn't want me. And when I found her later, she still tried to get out of trouble and, 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 and. I wrote this down and I put it in the article because it is a perfect line from Nuike. She says, quote, I had a chance. She's talking about her mother. I had a chance to see her for who she really was, and I guess that sometimes that's all we're going to get, right? Imagine writing that line. It's now 2005. Imagine writing that line after 12 years of Achika Masaki, any version of Tenchi's mother, doesn't matter. Okudas, Hasegawas, Hayashis, Nagishis. Imagine after 12 years of Tenchi's mother being this beautiful, poignant, amazing character pulling this bullshit in this episode and telling people i guess that's just how it is guess that's just who she was guess you're just gonna have to deal with it fuck off fuck off so i mentioned in talking about the last episode that i had torrented ova3 that's not completely accurate i watched first episode i was intrigued second episode hit me and it was like what and I was thinking about like getting punched in the face. You're, you're loopy for a minute. It's like, what did that just happen? And then I watched episode three, introduced Noike, really went into her character. It's like, okay, this character, whatever. And I'm just coasting. In the next episode, they introduced Seto. And then you see the GP start doing their shenanigans and building up to fighting Jirai. And they send the Chobi Maru. And it's like, okay, we're building up to something here. Zed's still in the background. Okay, hey, Zed, you're going to do anything? Okay, fine, whatever. But we're building up to something. Ryoka gets punched in the face. Action's starting to build up. She's got her gem going. It's about to go down. So I get hype. And episode five starts off with the battle is basically underway and everything's basically done. Most of the fighting is off camera. Much like the ending of OVA 1 and a lot of OVA 2, the fighting is done off camera. And it's like, okay, where's my 
climactic space. Uh, we're not having that. Okay. You get to see Sasami fight, which is cool, I guess. But Ryoko Ayaka, again, the main attraction. You don't get it. Where's my Batman versus Joker? Where's this at? Well, then everything kind of peters off and it, all this conflict gets resolved with Mashisu and Misao. And it's like, I don't know these characters. I don't care about these characters. Moving on. Then we get to the end of episode five. And then... Zed shows up, blows half the earth up, and it's like, okay, cool, we got some Vegeta action. We are finally going to get the main attraction. Zed and Tenshi, finally, after OVA 2 teased it for so long, we're finally going to get it. Then episode 6 happens, and you get whatever that was, and at, at least it ended with a resolution. I thought it was over. I thought it was over. And I heard back in the day that there was a seventh episode, but at this point, it's like, I, I'm, I'm not invested anymore. I, I, I've seen what I need to see. I can move on. Well, Fast forward a few years to Christmas, and one of my friends says, hey, you're going to get me a, a Christmas gift. We know you like Tenchi, and they got me the Funimation release of OVA3, and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I was the good friend, and I watched through all of it. So episodes one to six again, and I finally got to see this episode here. This episode is why I never came back to the OVA, because all of this, all of this talk of uh, essentially establishing what... Tenyo's mother, Kiyoni Misaki, this woman is like, yeah, after this, I didn't want to come back. I did not. She's 248 years old. She's very old mentally, but she never showed her age. She liked to wear sailor suits. She was basically senile. She penned this ridiculous script with Irie. As we find out in OVA 4 and 5, there's a lot more skeletons in her closet than just that. But here's the thing. I mentioned the term gaslighting before in reference to essentially all the things you know from OVA 1 and 2 are wrong. And that caused a schism in the fandom. This did too, for a very similar reason. Again, as has been explained, there have been other versions of Tenchi's mother before, and they've almost unanimously put her as some tragic figure. She died when he was young. He never got to know her. She was a beautiful person. You see her in her youth and so forth. Oh, okay. And yes, I accept that those are alternate versions. Those are parallel universes. Those are other artists' interpretations of the same character. And yes, you can have someone come in and do a new interpretation of a character. Here's an example. In Marvel Comics not that long ago, they did a storyline where secretly Captain America, Steve Rogers himself, was secretly a Hydra agent. He was a Nazi. There, and there was a plot behind it. There was a reason. The reason was the Red Skull had used his cosmic cube to rewrite history and blah, blah, blah. And that he went back in time. And there was an explanation. And here in OVA 3, you have an explanation. However, you know what the immediate response to Secret Empire was when the fandom saw Steve Rogers walk up to camera and say, Hail Hydra? Everyone revolted. Every fan of Captain America spun to Marvel and basically said, no, this is not Steve Rogers. That's what Tenchi fandom, in a good chunk of it, at least, not all of it, but a lot of people turned to AIC and Funimation and said, no, this is not who Tenchi's mother is. When you have a beloved character who has been shown as a particular way for so many years, that's what you expect them to be. And when you start messing with things like that, things that have been established by other creators, the fans start seeing that and they will talk to you about it and they will tell you, especially when they do this. And here's the thing. You'd say that Kiyoni Misaki is a different character. And okay, okay, I'll grant you that. She is not Achika Misaki. All right, I'll give you that. Go back to OVA1. OVA 1, Episode 5, and Episode 3. Episode 3 of OVA 1, Katsuhito Yosho says, Tenshi is a serious type, just like his mother. Okay, where's that here? 
that is a logical problem because what was said before no longer follows. Unless Yosho was lying. Was Yosho lying? If Yosho's lying, then why should I care about anything Yosho ever says? Okay. Episode five. You have, very often, you'd have Tenshi going up visiting Ryoko's cave. And Ryoko has seen her by using her astral form to project outside. She would see Tenshi's mother bring him to the cave. Now, here's the thing. Someone's going to argue. Oh, that wasn't, that wasn't uh, Tenshi's mother. That was Tenyo. That was Tenyo who was bringing him up there because they would swap places, as was established in episode two. And I'm like, okay then what do I need to believe? You subverted my expectations to the point that I can't believe anything you're saying. And there's the breaking point. When you're writing a narrative and you've basically established that nothing you have established can ever be held true, ever, you've undermined the actual foundation of your story. You no longer have a foundation for your story. Why should I believe anything you tell me at this point? Why should I be invested? All of the stuff that I have invested from OVA1 has now been undermined at this point. Consequently. Why do I care at all for any of this? Some of the episodes, like episodes uh, three and four of OVA3, also established that all the drama with Ayaka was due to Seto just didn't get in touch with her fast enough. And she ran off. Oh, oh she knew where Yosho was, but uh, you're, you're just the runaway princess. You didn't need to know. And it's like, wait a minute. The entire drama of that was that Ayaka was trying to search for her lost brother. And you're telling me that all of this could have been fixed if grandma just made her fucking phone call? Seriously, all of the drama could have been fixed with like one linchpin, call Seto. All of the drama could have been fixed, call Tokimi. All of the drama could have been fixed, push button to win, basically. Push button to win, talk to this person, this person, or this person, and they can make everything go away. That undermines the entire point of the story. And if you have an instant win button, you then have to talk around that instant win button. Why weren't they there? It's very much the DC Comics issue of where's the Justice League? To have to somehow dance around that particular plot point to avoid it. And I'm sorry, all of this not only pisses off the fans, not only subverts and undermines all of the foundation you've built up this point and makes everything up to this point moot, but it makes the people who have actually been invested with it not want to care anymore. Because everything they built up in their minds is now false. And the minute you tell somebody that everything they know is wrong and try and make them believe other things are being true, again, I hate to say it, that's gaslighting. That immediately makes people turn off and walk away. Subverting expectations, I'm not against that. I'm not against a lot of the devices that are used. But here's the thing. When expectations are subverted like that, it can't be after... 13 years it needs to be done in like like first season maybe it needs to be early on enough that it's established that's the biggest problem with this episode is the schism that it creates it it gaslights that's exactly what it is like at least with noika she's not gaslighting tenchi she's just saying my life sucks more than yours but Rhea legitimately gaslights tenchi and she legitimately just tells him like well i mean I actually had to deal with it. You should be giving me credit and Tenyo credit, which they literally do in OVA5, which we'll get to. And you can't do that after characters have been established. You can't do that after there's been literally 13 years of a beloved franchise happening and then try and pull the shit. You can't do it. No matter how much you want to do it, or if you do do it, it needs to make sense. There needs to be some kind of build up to it there needs to be an inkling like you mentioned with yosho yosho lying to tenshi 
He eventually explains that, but you're a day late and a dollar short at that point because nobody gives a fuck anymore by that point. And what it's coming out of and everything around it is not gold. Moments like that need to be like a singular moment. And that needs to be preceded by and followed up by things that are just incredibly well written and make sense and make people want to be invested. And all of these subverting of expectations and the continued degradation of Kione Masaki, all that does is just piss people off. That's horrid storytelling. It's a contempt for the viewer and it does nothing for anybody. Let me give you an example of how to do this right. Because someone did do this storyline correctly, and people actually enjoyed that storyline with an evil or a twisted version of Tenchi's mother. You don't want to know who it is? Hitoshi Okuda. At the very end of All New Tenchi Muyo, the second run of the Tenchi Muyo manga in volume 9 and 10, Hitoshi Okuda did a storyline that was basically an adaptation of OVA 3. Because as Okuda was writing, Okuda started writing after OVA 1, and he slowly worked in aspects of OVA 2 and 3 as they were being produced, because he was writing the manga as the OVA was coming out. When he got to the end of his second run, to the end of All New Tenchi Muyo, this stuff in OVA 3 was coming out. The goddesses, Tokimi, all, Zed, all of that was happening. He wrote an adaptation of this storyline. How he did it was he basically was able to have your cake and eat it too. Tenchi's mother shows up. She's alive. It's not Tenyo. It is actually Kioni Misaki. It is. She comes in and she basically does all the stuff we're describing, putting Ryoko in her place, putting Aiko in her place, telling Tenchi that he needs to believe what she's saying. But here's the thing. They built it up because, turns out, all of them have to cow down to her because she's Tenchi's mother. And Tenchi won't let them talk about his mother that way. She uses it. She twists that love and makes him actually bend to her pawn to where then she can abuse him. And at the same time, because he's his mother, he then tells the girls to, no, 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 you can't attack her. She's my mom. She's my mom. It's fine. It's fine. I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm totally fine. So that's what happens. But here's the thing. It actually isn't Kioni Masaki. It's a clone who's being manipulated by one of Kagato's students, who's actually trying to resurrect Kagato because Tenchi killed Kagato. So her impetus is she wants to resurrect her master and get revenge on the person who killed him. So what's the best revenge? Do the same thing to him. Twist his mother into a evil version of herself and slowly degrade him and break him so that when you finally put the knife through his chest, he will wish that he was dead. You see, that's good storytelling. Also, that's how you get your cake and eat it too, because you now have that Kioni Misaki or Achika Misaki or whatever name you want to put to her at this point. She is still the saintly woman that you have in Tenchi's memory that has been portrayed in other media. But now you also have this twisted version of her who actually does all these evil things at the same time. They're not the same character, but they have the same image. And you can now do both at the same time with good reason why they would actually be doing that. Another one of those, well, it was actually this way all along. You just never knew moments. It has now become so prolific in the OVA. What you didn't know about Kagato all along was that actually he was a hermaphrodite because, well, we go on later to find out it's because of Naja and all the stuff from the novels and whatnot. Part of the reason he did what he did was because he just hated women. They sort of imply that that may or may not be Washu's fault because of what she might have done to him. You know, just another one of those things where why did that need to be the case? Why do that to Kagato? The best villain the OVA has ever seen and will ever see at this point. 
just another reason why this episode made it onto the top 10. It's better. Not only was Kagato a hermaphrodite, but he split off his female half into a child female version of herself, which then gets pulled out of time by a time traveling Tenchi because reasons. Then that female version gets picked up by Dr. Clay by an illegal operation, was then implanted into Noike's mother, got born as Noike. So Noike is actually female Kagato, except their personalities are split with Clay Tech, which then Washu erases. So female Kagato gets slowly assimilated into a Noike. So yes, Noike is part of the harem now. The end. Thank you for my TED talk. You mean uh, Kagato is a part of the harem now? Fuck. Oh boy. Tied. For 6 and 7, Tenshi Muyo Ryooki, OVA 5, Episode 6, The Max Level, Question Mark, Hero Departs, and Tenshi Muyo Ryooki, OVA 4, Episode 3, Oath and Wish. And just to get them in order, we're going to start with OVA 5, Episode 6, The Max Level, Hero Departs. Tenshi's training is still going on, 6 episodes in, and in the midst of his training, we find out that... Ryoko is pregnant and has a baby. And then Aika is pregnant and has a baby. And then, despite the fact that Ryoko and Aika's babies are an afterthought to Kenshi's training, they do, however, decide to throw a party for Ryooki when she gets pregnant. And then we send Kenshi off to Geminar. I'm just going to repeat that for everybody in the event that you didn't hear me right or you might not have understood what I just said. Ryoko, the main character, the showstopper, the main event, and Aika, her rival, the love triangle, the two girls that have been in line, the, the shipping wars, the everything, the people that the fans love, their children are an afterthought to Kenshi's training, but the mascot, Pioneer's mascot, Ryooki, gets a party after Tenshi has sex with her. After Tenshi has sex with Ryooki. Tenshi fucks the cat. There, I said it. You heard of jumping the shark. This is fucking the cat. <laughs> to reference the fucking... The Eric Andre show. Ha ha ha, this sucks, man. Oh, Jesus. I mean... Speaking of memes, I made one after I saw this episode. It's from uh, the Thanos meme from Infinity War. Did you get to see Tenshi babies? Yes. But what did it cost? Everything. In the end... What we've known since the first If Dojin came out in 2013 has come to pass. Tenchi has kids in OVA 5. You see Ryoko's kid, Aika's kid. You don't see uh, Ryooki's litter that she's going to have with Tenchi, but they do throw her a baby shower. It is just so funny that this is treated without any fanfare at all. Because it's like, all right, if the harem ending is what it is, and that's going to be what you get. You would think at the very least you'd get that payoff with the kids and have it just be a little bit more substantial than what it is. But no, during the training montage, Kenshi's training montage, where he's getting trained and prepared by all the various relatives and whatnot, you just see at different points, Ryoko is pregnant, cut to more training, then she gives birth. Cut to more training. Aika's pregnant. Cut to more training. She gives birth. And it's just like, really? That's it? Saw someone on Twitter when uh, they were going through OVA5. I forget their Twitter handle, but it gotten done watching this episode. And all they had to say about this episode was 
speaking of Ryoko here, they said, my girl won in the end, and then in parentheses, kind of. And that was pretty much it. You know, this is how Tenshi Muyo Ryooki ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. The show is called Tenshi Muyo Ryooki. It's named after Tenshi Musaki. You would think it's your six episodes in, and there has been nothing about these main characters, with the exception of the harem ending, a wedding which is basically hand-waved away, which, I mean, we'll get to that too, because that episode's in here. Just the fact that Ryoko and Aika got nothing. Ryoko. Fucking Ryoko didn't eat. There wasn't this sweet moment. There wasn't this like, oh my god, oh, Ryoko, are you a child? Like, there was none of that. There was nothing for them. It's an afterthought. We got to get Kenshi to Geminar. That's the most important thing. Everything else is secondary to getting Kenshi to Geminar. And speaking of that, this is where we send Kenshi to Geminar. <laughs> you know, we're talking earlier with the OVA's three stuff about how like everything is kind of just like hand waved. It's very contrived. Like everything connects to everything and everything has a, an explanation, even if it's bullshit. Rey's whole point, which we'll get to, basically... Because plot demands it, she got isekai'd to our world because she's an artificial humanoid. And if she does not send Kenshi to Geminar, the implication, you're never told this, by the way. This is an assumption that something bad is going to happen to her. She'll die. She'll lose her memory. Something. Something. There is more emotional buildup and budget in sending Kenshi to Geminar than at any other point in Tenshi Muyo Ryooki. OVA5. Music, emotion, Ryooki's crying, Nobuyuki's crying, Rhea's spell gets broken, she's crying, Kenshi, uh... And they're all worried about him. And Washu goes, Well, we can't just watch him. What? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, we're, we're just gonna watch him. If things get too bad, we'll just pull him back. No big deal. What? What is the entire point if there's no consequences to fucking anything, there's no consequences. None. What? Why? Why do we even care about Geminar in the first place? Rhea got isekai'd over here, and her whole mission, and everybody's whole mission, has been where we need to send Kenshi to Geminar because they'll reawaken Gaia and it might destroy it. It's in another dimension. What? How? Like? What? what is that? Think of Dragon Ball Super. Is this going to affect our Earth? Is it going to break the dimensional whatever? Like, what What are the consequences of Geminar being destroyed by Gaia and not sending Kenshi over there? Well, obviously, we now know nothing. It doesn't affect us. Okay, well, why, why all of this? Why the degradation of characters and utter destruction and character assassination of characters that we know just for nothing? Anybody who might say, oh, well, but, you know, Tokimi said she couldn't get involved. Tokimi created their universe. Think about this for a second. If Tokimi created their universe, then she created the people who created the spell that Rhea is under. Rhea is no longer in their universe, in their dimension, whatever. Are you really going to tell me that Tokimi, the creator, creator of their universe, can't just literally go to Rhea and go, we're going to remove this? That's the problem with all of this. It's a charade. At any point, if this were any other normal circumstance, Rhea's plotline would actually make a little bit more sense. 
That's not saying that any of it is good. It's not. It's horrid shit getting to this point. But at the very least, the plotline itself could be used in an interesting way if there was any kind of consequence to it. But then there's this all, you know, inconvenient truth where you have literally the most powerful beings in the universe, two of which created or helped create the universes they are currently sitting in. And you're going to tell me that they can't just look at Rhea and go, boop, your thing's gone, honey. So you're basically what you're saying is we wasted six episodes of Tenshi Muyuriwoki basically jacking off for nothing, only to just see... Kenshi fucking around for everybody's amusement. This is something I've actually gotten into debates with people on the forum back in the day when I really cared about this kind of thing. And Ashley said, hey, after OVA3, Washu can basically shift into her goddess mode whenever she wants. And Tokimi is basically a chibi floating around the household at this point. She's basically their paper dog. She goes out and gets the paper and brings the Washu every morning. And they, somewhere in OVA4, they explain that she has the chibi form because to have her true form in this particular universe would shatter the third dimensional shell. And it's like, okay, cool, that's whatever. But here's the thing. You literally have at least three instant win buttons that you have to now dance around. So yeah, Takimi could interfere with Geminar because she created it. She could go in there and guy is gone immediately. You could have her undo the spell on Rhea. Done. Uh, drama over. Cool. So how do you write around that? Well, she can't get involved. Why? Why can't she get involved? She chooses not to. This is where you could get into a whole lot of epistemology and whatnot about the nature of God and whatnot. Because one of the things about God is, can, for example, there are logical inconsistencies with gods. Can a god create a boulder so heavy that they could not lift it? That kind of thing. Can a god create something that they couldn't then no longer destroy? You get into the, the tricks about like omnipotence and omniscience, which comes up here, by the way. But Tokimi basically says that because something is out of one of her realms of influence, it's not part of her omniscience anymore. To which it's like, wait a minute. The whole point of omniscience is you are literally all-knowing. If you, there's something you don't know, you're not omniscient. If there's something that you can't do, you're not omnipotent. You're not all-powerful. And that's what's going on here. You have three all-powerful, all-knowing goddesses in this household. Okay, let's say that their power only works in their sphere of influence. Okay, all three of them created the known universe, which means between the three of them, one of them should know or have the power to affect X, Y, or Z. Okay, so... Either they don't have the power to do it, which means they're not all powerful, or they have the power to do it and they choose not to do it. So let's get into a logical argument here. Given the premises of these three goddesses, they are either not all powerful or they're not all good, which means Tokimi chooses not to do this. Why? I mean, she's friends with all of them. Why doesn't she want to help Rhea and make sure that Rhea doesn't, whatever the hell's going to happen to her if uh, Kenshi doesn't go? Or why doesn't she want to help all the people in her realm of influence that she created for this? Oh, it's because the experiment's running and she can't interfere with the experiment. Okay, that's cool. Can you just fix Rhea? Oh, you won't? Why not? It's because you choose not to, bitch. That's why. <laughs> if you come up with the argument and you say, oh, well, she doesn't want to get involved, we literally just universal reset in OVA3. If there's no consequence to Gaia rampaging on Geminar, just universal reset Geminar. That's the thing. None of these plot points that are supposed to affect Geminar, there's there's no weight to them. Like, why? Rey is gonna die? Word. We literally pulled Tenchi out of space and time. Let's see this to its logical endpoint. Let's, let's take road B and not road A. Let's say that they don't send Kenshi back. 
in five OVAs, three of which Rhea has been a thing, and God knows whatever else novels that nobody's read, does anybody believe, honestly, that they're going to kill off Rhea? Who else have they killed off in the OVA at this point? Nobody, because there's no conflict. Anybody who gets added to the OVA stays there. The only people who die- I mean, fuck this- like, the, the space pirates. We don't even kill all the space pirates, which that's a whole nother other thing that happened in an episode that didn't make it into the top ten for- but got pretty close, is that Tenchi and Sena and Sho from the Paradise War novels, Tenchi can literally destroy a thousand spaceships in an instant. Hell, he doesn't even destroy them in many cases. He wraps them up in his Lighthawk wing, slaps a sticker on them, and teleports them to Mahoshi for processing. He literally just is doing the GP's job. Slaps a uh, postage label on them, to be precise. Mails them instant transmission style. Yeah, he does. Again, nobody dies. There's no death. Going back to believability, do we really believe, if all of this happened, that they would let Rhea die? There are three characters that have died in the OVA. Would you like to know them? Kioni Masaki... Kagato, and Zed. That's it. Clay's even still alive. The funny thing is that the only person of those who's actually dead dead is Kione, because Kagato gets, like, reincarnated birthed into Noike, and Zed gets reincarnated birthed into someplace else during OVA 3. So, yeah. Imagine if everybody in the show was Goku. Like, nobody dies. And it's like, okay, well, if there's... <laughs> What did we sit here for five episodes doing then? What have we been sitting here for ten episodes doing then? You know, we've seen Tenchi, various different versions of him throughout multiple continuities. We've seen him in several different art styles at this point. But honestly, this episode of OVA5 might just have one of my favorite versions of Tenchi in it. I like to call him Brock Tenchi. Oh my god, yeah. Brock Tenchi! You know, if you've seen this episode, you'll probably know what I'm talking about because it's... Some not-so-great animation key art. They just kind of linger on for too long as he and Kenshi start their training together. Good old Brock Tenshi. OVA5's entire point is to train Kenshi to go to Geminar. We, we see everybody he trains with. He trains with basically everyone in the known universe who has any connection to the Masaki family. Experts in their fields, all this nonsense. That's cool, whatever. This episode has a, quote, duel between Tenshi and Kenshi, where Tenshi's going all out. He's doing all his shenanigans and whatnot. Here's the thing. We've slowly, meticulously watched Kenshi get stronger, mostly in this episode, but all the way through watching Kenshi get trained, which we'll get to what training means here in a minute. Tenshi, on the other hand, can basically snap his fingers and waylay space pirates in an instant. When did he get the training to do any of this. The show is called Tenshi Moyo because I think the story goes that Toromura said that much like Thomas the Tank Engine, we need to have the title character's name in the title so we can really, you know, pop and merchandising and really get the name out there. This house is called Tenshi Moyo, right? So where's the evolution, the boy who goes on a journey and he must become a man? Where did that happen? He suddenly, after OVA 3, episode 6, after he has that big epiphany of whatever the hell happened there, the next episode in episode 7, he now can use his Lighthawk wings whenever he wants, and every episode after that, he can basically wave his hand and stuff's done. So where's the training for Tenshi, the title character that we're here to talk about and actually watch? Where's his training? Oh, wait, no. All is in the service of getting Kenshi to Geminar. Don't ask questions, just consume product. Oh, 
the other half of the tied six and seven. Tenchi Muyo, Ryooki, OVA4, Episode 3, Oath and Wish. The big day for Rea and Nobuyuki is finally here. The big thing is Rea being inducted into the Masaki Village Council. And yes, as you have found out now in OVA4, that the place that they live in is not just some Shinto shrine deep in rural Japan. It is, in fact, called Masaki Village. Where did they name it? OVA4. Aside from that, the big thing about this episode is we find out who Rea is. Speaking about what we were just talking about before, her life, how Kione met her, how she isekai'd here, and the majority of this takes place in the form of exposition between Seto, Azusa, and Washu, and some pictures. I just want to point out for everybody who's listening, in this episode in particular, there is 42, I may be off one or two, but I'm pretty sure there are 42 unique characters on screen throughout the episode. All that stuff that we just got done talking about with Rhea. Tenchi's unassuming stepmother who, aside from the fact that we find out in OVA3, she, everything that Tenchi loves about his mother, actually Rhea did all that. She's the good mother. Well, actually come to find out that she is an artificial human from a different dimension who got isekai'd here, and her entire purpose is to have a child, and it's like if they took Back to the Future and Terminator, someone who's bad at writing took those two concepts, threw them together, and attempted to make them work, and Kione finds her, and we just basically learn her backstory. Yeah, this is basically sitting and talking the anime. They're basically just sitting and talking and explaining all the stuff about Geminar, which by the way, we finally actually hear the name Geminar. Oh my God. Here's the thing. I watched Ikesai Monogatari and my pronunciation's off. I apologize. Uh, more on Geminar. The title in Japanese never mentions the name Geminar. And as I recall, the actual show itself never uses the term Geminar either. The only time we have actually heard the names Geminar are in OVA 4 and 5. And specifically, this episode establishes the name Geminar for that world. And, okay, cool. Now we have the actual name of this thing. I can live with that. Yay. I'm still wondering, why do we have to have Rhea get pregnant, have a kid, and send him back? I know that there's apparently some nonsense here about children between artificial humans and Earth humans are somehow stronger for reasons? Like Dragon Ball, you have Gohan is Goku and Chi-Chi's son. And because of the mixing of the blood, Gohan is somehow stronger than a normal Saiyan and blah, da, 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 da. It's like, okay, cool. We have no proof of that. We have no evidence of that. We are not shown this. You got any deets on that, Rhea? You're a child. How do you even know most of this? I'm assuming it's programmed into you. Like the fact that you have to send someone back in your place because of reasons, which is revealed, oddly enough, in the next episode of this. We also find out that Geminar is Tokimi's domain. She created it. She literally made everything and set everything in motion. Very much a universe in a bottle kind of experiment to see if they could create another Tenshi or Zed is basically what she's doing here. Although, wait a minute. Wasn't the original plan Washu reverted herself back to a human form to relearn everything to try and see if there was something that she might have missed in her omniscience, which, again, contradicts the term omniscience outright. Tsunami created Jirai basically as a eugenics program to try and breed the perfect being that way. Okay, fine, cool, whatever. On the other hand, you then have Tokimi, and Tokimi's plan was, as OVA3 states, continue creating spatial distortions to essentially bring people to her and hopefully have the distortions create and manifest spontaneously people with power, which Zed happened. That worked. Okay. 
So she never mentioned creating a universe on her own time back then. Okay, so I'm assuming that happened off camera. She never talked about it. Again, more stuff that we didn't know and suddenly is revealed for reasons. You know, I'm going to be honest with you, like watching this and watching the like three seconds of Rhea and pictures that they showed, I'm looking at these pictures and I'm like, why the fuck are we talking about this? Why can't we show this? Literally, show, don't tell. You have these giant mecha fighting in a thing, and you have this Final Fantasy-like prior civilization with flying boats and this big, cool-looking dam. And my first thought is like, one, why Rhea? Why Kione? Why, why any of this? Why Johnny? But then I also thought like, you know what? They could have just literally made OVA 4 a prequel OVA to Geminar with Rhea because we know who she was as soon as we said her name and they literally could have shown what Geminar was, introduced us to Rhea as she was on Geminar and her sisters. And that's where you could throw in the D reference or whatever that, or doll. Nizai. Nizai, right, right, right. They all look the same. They all have fucking green hair and then could then go from there start to show whatever's going to happen with Gaia and then have Rhea stumbling around as she says in the department or the laboratory boom she gets a sec eyed and you get to actually see that scene where Keone finds her boom that's OVA4 you've literally done something infinitely more interesting in four fucking episodes than it took to explain all of this painful exposition. That's what I thought the entire time I was watching this. This is the problem with Kajishima's world. If anything, the cardinal sin of OVA 4 and 5, and to a lesser extent 3, it is show not tell. They basically tell you all of these things, except you're expected to, ex one, accept it, but two, the visuals that you're seeing is just literally people sitting and talking. Again, to get into briefly about the animation style of this, again, even some of the keyframes are boring. They're flat. There's no dimension to it. There's no depth. There's no shading. You look at five, same thing happens, except worse, because whatever happened, their budget vanished suddenly. Another reason, obviously, why this episode made the list is because, well, it continues the character assassination of Tenchi's mother, because it's in this episode where, for lack of a better term, Rhea has her bachelorette party and Nobuyuki has his bachelor party before they get married and at Rea's party all the women of Masaki village get together welcome her into the fold but then at a certain point Tenyo decides to ask Rea what she finds so interesting about her father and the very first thing that she says is you know well unlike Kione I actually think your dad's a pretty decent guy. And then the rest of the women start to chime in and talk about how bad Tenchi's mother, Kione, treated Nobuyuki. You know, they mentioned that Nobuyuki had his parents also die at a young age, and that made him fairly depressed. And then he started hanging out with Tenchi's mom, and she... She basically made Nobuyuki her plaything, and they thought that she was not good enough for him to marry just because of how crazy she was even back then. So yet again, we continue down the path of Tenchi's mom's batshit crazy, but she was also now somewhat abusive to his father. I also just want to point out for everybody listening, in case you didn't read our article where we announced the poll results for all this stuff, OVA4 takes place... 10 years, production-wise, after the last episode of OVA 3. OVA 5 takes place almost 15 years later, like 14. 
they still are shitting on Tenchi's mother. Still. Still. And 90% of that is being done by Tenyo. 90% of that is being done by a brand new character who basically existed as one half of, well, actually Tenchi's mother. It's abysmal. I, God, crazy. I, to try to blot this out of my mind, I totally forgot. Like, imagine you're having, like, a party for somebody. Imagine you're having, this is, this moment is supposed to be about Rhea, and they're like, you guys, you remember how shit Keone was? Come on. Like, we're still doing this? Like, we're, st we're still doing this? Unfortunately, yes, we are still doing this. Can we have a quick aside while we're talking about character assassination and whatnot? We have Tenyo's mother here, who, again, abusive to her now widower husband, found this girl, Rhea, as we find out in OVA5, also experimented on Rhea and did a lot of reverse engineering to her technology and whatnot. Can we briefly talk about the fact that Rhea is basically hard-coded that she gets teleported from Geminar to here? And then now has the directive. Apparently, again, it's hard-coded into her. If she doesn't do it, then something bad will happen. That she has to have a child in this universe and send that child back. She's hard-coded to essentially reproduce and send her child back. Rather than, oh, I don't know, sending weapons back or sending a mecha back. Or, God forbid, go back herself after training with everyone herself and becoming the hero herself. Imagine that. But in all of this discussion of, you know, Rhea's origins and the fact that for some reason, Kioni Misaki was much more interested in Rhea than her own children, of all things, and her children's births actually got in the way of taking care of all this Geminar stuff. Heaven forbid. No. But in this episode specifically, again, it's established that Rhea... As a child, Rhea, again, she looks like, what, what's like seven, eight or something? You have a child talking to a grown-ass adult saying, well, now I have to have a baby and send my son back to Geminar to save everyone from Gaia. You have to get pregnant. You're, you're a kid. You shouldn't be worrying about that at this point. But it gets better when they actually have all of Kioni Misaki's data from all this and Seto and Azusa and Washu Minaho and Irie are all talking about all of this. They bring up all of that data. So you have this nice image of child Rhea, nude, and then they superimpose a diagram of her womb. Yep, the baby maker works. We can totally make this happen. And I'm like, that's the most important thing you fuckers are talking about right now is whether or not this, at the time, child can have a fucking baby or not. Again, this is like some eugenics and I'm going to go ahead and say it. Grooming. You're basically grooming this kid to grow up, get married, to have a baby for the entire purpose of sending that baby to Geminar. A couple episodes also mentioned that there's a couple people have some conflict of, oh, should we actually be sending Kenshi to Geminar? I mean, we, it's almost like we're grooming him to do it. Yes. Yes, you are. Don't try and sugarcoat it. That's exactly what you're doing. And it starts here. You know, the other thing with Rhea that I always found kind of hilarious was in the same breath that they say that Rhea is hard-coded and as soon as she shows up in our world, she literally says the reason that she came over here was an accident because she was playing around in the lab and didn't know that the machine would go off. So wait, 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 wait. When did she get hard-coded to want to have a kid and go back if it wasn't her point to do that in the first place? Who did that to her? Was it Tokimi? Was the result of maybe the machine misfiring and encoding her on the trip? We don't know. We don't know anything about their tech. Again, the whole proposal I just said earlier, like if you would actually explain this, it would make more sense. Why it has to be Rhea, God knows why. But it's the lack of details at critical moments like that. They go, wait, 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 wait. Why are we doing this? Like who's who's the main character? Why 
how did she go from being just a kid who was stumbling around in a lab to dun 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 i have to be you know like this terminator-esque plot line like what where how who what when also, Azusa and Seto go off on saying they can't send weapons back to Geminar. They can't, and Rhea says they can't modify Kenshi because that would be sending their technology back over to Geminar. And they can't interfere with an early stage civilization, which apparently Geminar counts as an early stage civilization, even though, spoiler, they had a spacefaring civilization there that collapsed and now they've post apocalypsed into a new civilization. They have basically the equivalent of a spacefaring civilization's technology over there already. So, one, sending your technology over there wouldn't be anything beyond some of the stuff they already already have there for one thing so that's already a moot point two you certainly have established basically star trek's prime directive you can't interfere with an early civilization's natural development in your own universe this is geminar this is a bottle universe that tokimi's using as an experiment i mean i get the fact that she keeps saying that she doesn't want to interfere with it because she's the goddess and whatnot but what's stopping you why can't you send their technology over there? Hell, there's something that's brought up in OVA5, memory wipes, men in black style memory wipes. And I think, Dagon, you mentioned this last night when I was marathoning through all of this, that you could pop over there, nuke Gaia, wipe everyone's memory, and pop back, and no damage done. Why not do that? Because the plot demands it. Indeed, indeed. And here's the thing. There's a bit of a conflict here with detail. We say that there needs to be detail here that doesn't need to be detail here. And the thing is, is that the detail is being put in a very weird place. I'm not going to lie. The writers of the series put a lot of detail into this show. They did. They put a lot of detail into all these different intricate relationships between these characters. This guy's related to this guy, and this guy's related to this guy, and this this, this series has to do this. Okay, you're connecting a bunch of dots. Okay, okay, okay. Cool. That's a lot of detail. Are those the details that actually matter? Are they the ones that actually give you connective tissue to get you logically from point A to point B? I would say no, because a lot of that detail seems to be shunted into novels that none of us have read, and I'm betting a lot of people in Japan haven't read either. Because, again, when you have a multimedia franchise, you have to try and read everything to get the whole picture. Again, decompressed storytelling. You financially... I will not be able to financially recover from this. You can't financially do that. That doesn't work. So there's something else you need to keep in mind when it comes to OVAs 4 and 5. And I'll probably touch on this again later for some of the other episodes further along the list. But when it comes to Kajishima, he he loves to try and explain things in his own way. And he's done it in various different ways over the years. He's done it in form of almost 20 GXP novels. He's, he did the Shintenshi novels. He's done doujins ever since the early 90s. But when it comes to even key plot points within OVAs 4 and 5, he actually made two original plot novels for each one for OVAs 4 and 5. And these are novels that were officially published by AIC, but they're not novels you can just go out and buy, even in Japan, because though they were published by AIC, they're marked not for resale. And I don't remember exactly how you had to acquire these. You either had to buy a certain amount of copies of the Blu-ray to get entered into a raffle, or I think AIC might have even had a shop somewhere near their office that you could go to and potentially buy these from them directly. But I mean, they're not in print anymore and you can't just go on Amazon or wherever, even in Japan and buy these. And within them, the entire OVA is rehashed, but Kajishima goes into further details explaining certain things about OVA 4 that 
he felt needed explaining that you didn't get to see in the actual anime. You know, there again, it's like Pi was saying, the multimedia franchise mix and telling the story through different mediums. You know, you can do that. There needs to be one central piece of media. There needs to be a one piece of media that's the core, the pillar that holds everything up that if nothing else, that's the only one you need to concentrate on. In Tenshi's case, it should be the OVA. I should be able to watch OVAs one, two, three, four, five in a row without needing to go outside of them. Now, if I go outside of them and I read a novel or I look at one of his doujins, or if I was lucky enough to get one of these original plot novels, I should be able to do that, learn some things, help me expand my view and understanding of the world, but it should not be required material. Pi said he's a big fan of Transformers. I'm a pretty big Halo fan myself, and for anybody who's unaware, Halo Infinite just came out, but the previous game before that, Halo 5 Guardians, had its own fair share of controversy, much in the same vein that Tenchi's gotten, where at one point the developers of that game, 343 Industries, had on their website a diagram of basically everything you needed to read or watch or listen to in order to understand that game's story. You had to read several different novels. You had to read several different comic books. You had to read, you had to listen to developer commentary podcasts. And the list just went on and on and on. And the fans ultimately revolted because, you know, they felt like they were getting taken advantage of. And it's just, it's a huge barrier to entry. There shouldn't be a checklist of things that I have to do to just enjoy this one game or this one anime. And it's just one of, if not the biggest problems that the OVA faces and will always face at this point, unless it's rebooted. This started as an OVA. It was not based on a manga. I should just have to pay attention to or only need to watch the anime. And these original plot novels are some of the worst examples of that, that Kajishima felt that the anime itself did not convey what he wanted it to, or it did not answer everything he felt it needed to answer. So he wrote these very exclusive, hard-to-obtain novels that you had to either go directly to AIC and buy or win a raffle to obtain. And that's the epitome of bad storytelling, in my opinion. It's not even a matter of, oh, you just need to read this novel. You can't. It's, you know, it was available at one point for a select number of people. If you're there, maybe. That's as bad as a doujin. And if you're going to just rehash everything anyway, why not just make the OVA about something else? And that's ultimately, you know, Halo, actually, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a good example because you experience something like if you read the manga of something and then watch the anime or, you know, you have some other media associated with it. Consuming all of this media should be complementary to the other. It should not be required because that's just asking people to do something that they just can't do, whether monetarily or otherwise. And pointing your finger at people and saying you're not a true fan if you don't do your homework is bullshit. We all know it's bullshit. It's gatekeeping and it's stupid and it's especially bad when the story being told is bad too again tenshi's not the only series that's mentioned this we've mentioned transformers we mentioned halo but what happens is is that when a series gets too big to quote something uh i think the 11th doctor once said another series has gotten really big is doctor who when you get too big sometimes you have to pare down sometimes you have to go back to quote some spider-man as well you have to go back to formula 
And several comic book companies have done this. DC's done it actually fairly regularly. The Crisis on Infinite Earths happened because DC had gotten so multiversally connected to each other. They had like Earth 1, Earth 2, Earth 3, Earth 56, and they had to pare it down. So they had a big climactic event that basically reset the timeline and started over from scratch. So new readers could onboard without having to do like 20 years of catch-up work from the 60s to current. Marvel, notably, hasn't done this. But they've rebooted and created alternate franchises like the Ultimate Universe and whatnot. Transformers does this every so often. They actually recently just did it right after the Aligned Continuity ended with Cyberverse. And now they're starting to start over with a new series that's about to come out called Earthspark. Same thing with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. TMNT, almost there for a while, was being rebooted every time you turned around so much that it was just making your head spin. But you can do it too much. Again, it's very much a balancing act of you shouldn't reboot all the time. But there's a moment especially when you have a generational gap between old readers and new readers, eventually you have to kind of start over and let the new people have their incarnation, their Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, their Transformers, their Tenshi. Number five, Tenshi Muyo, Ryooki, OVA4, Episode 4, Good Days, Departure. Kenshi is born at the very beginning of this episode, and they do a quick montage of him growing up before we go to the main thrust of this episode, which is talking about Kenshi. And when I say talking about Kenshi, this is a 29-minute episode, and 25 minutes is dedicated to talking about Kenshi. And it only changes between two scenes of people, a boardroom full of women and six men. Most of them are not named. Most of them are not introduced. Actually, no one is introduced. And the same problems that have existed throughout OVA4 continue. Azusa's father is right next to him, and you don't even know that that's who that is until Azusa refers to him as like Otosan or whatever. And it is the worst pacing of probably any of the episodes just because it's sitting and talking and talking and talking, and talking. And the things that they're talking about aren't even interesting. It's what is Kenshi going to eat? What is he going to whatever? And it actually, funnily enough, talks about and introduces some plot points. We're talking about plot points, and we'll get to grooming in a second because that's another point that gets brought up. We literally find out that the Seiki Jin are humans from Earth, which apparently... Uh, from the previous episode, oh, we can't meddle in their affairs, except apparently all of their female pilots are from Earth, or a big chunk of them are from Earth, which, I mean, how does that work? How are people being sent to Geminar? Then you would maybe assume that that was Tokimi, and then you're like, well, why didn't Tokimi say she doesn't want to get involved? How are they doing that? But the other part of it, there's a moment of clarity, a small moment of clarity. I think it's by Washu. Washu or somebody else. Mitoto. Mitoto has this moment of clarity. Of, of all the people, bless you, Mitoto. She says, that's right, she says in the boardroom, she says, isn't this, you know, isn't this bad? He doesn't really have a life. He's literally being groomed for this one purpose. And they're like, yeah, I guess. And then they go back to it. It's complete sociopathy. Like, it's, it's just like, well, I mean, we might have emotions, but then that would get in the way of the plot. And because the plot is more important than fucking anything else... We're just going to hand wave that we're grooming this kid. Not going to lie. 
I have my page of notes here in my hand. I was so checked out at this point watching this show because I've watched OVA 4 before, but last night I marathoned OVA 3, 4, and 5 back-to-back with a couple breaks. And for this episode specifically, I only got a half page of notes because I was so checked out that all of this detail was detail of stuff that honestly does not matter to what's going on that I just left it out because it's like, okay, look, I could either keep writing all this detail about stuff that's not going to play into the the next OVA at all, or I could, you know, just power through the episode and be done. Guess what? I opted for the latter. I only have half a page of notes because there's just so much nothing here. 25 minutes of talking. There's a meme of Captain Picard from Star Trek The Next Generation where he's talking about a dignitary. He went to some meeting with a dignitary. Picard basically pays it off saying he just kept talking and talking one completely unbroken sentence. It was very quite hypnotic. And he just goes into a monotone talking about how bad this guy was speaking. That's this episode. They just kept talking and talking and talking and shut up already. I don't care. Yeah, all this episode basically boils down to is... uh... Well, how are we going to send Kenshi to Geminar? Should we send him? Okay, we're going to send him. We're all going to chip in with his training. Then this episode also serves to get a lot of the fan service, you know, off the checklist. Because the whole time the women are hashing these things out. It starts off in a boardroom and then eventually they end up by the pool and they're all in bikinis. Then they go to a sauna and they're all either naked or wrapped up in towels. Then after that, they're all in, I guess, a bath with slime women giving them massages. And then it ends with a slumber party and a lot of them in either pajamas or lingerie. You know, and it's all the same stuff. Do we send them? Do we not send them? Who's going to train them? Matoto has the one moment of clarity where, you know, she's like, it feels wrong to just do this to him because it feels like the only reason he was born is to just fill this one role. And they're all like, yeah, that's kind of true. Oh, well, that sucks. We're going to send him anyway, moving on. And I think the only other thing that I really wanted to touch on from this episode is, you know, none of the characters are introduced because, again, the media mix at this point, you know, by OVA 4 2016 you're just kind of just expected to have not only seen all the other OVAs you're also expected to have either read almost all of the GXP novels of which there's close to 20 at this point or you've at least seen the GXP TV series and you're just kind of expected to know who these people are if you don't you know too bad do not pass go, do not collect $200. This episode in particular, I also find kind of amusing for a particular reason, and that is back, I I need to pull it off my shelf. I think I want to say it was in like 2015, either the summer or maybe even the winter of 2015. Kajishima put out a doujin. We just call it the OVA4 doujin. And in it, he basically announces OVA4. And if you look inside it, uh, you'll see in there, you will see shot for shot that what's in the doujin got carried over to the anime where they're sitting at the, in the boardroom at the table talking to Rhea about sending her son over there. That's lifted straight from his doujin. And the reason I emphasize this and I find it important is because it just goes to show you that this is totally him in complete control doing what he wants. 
but also, you know, he announces this very OVA in a dojin of all things. It drives the point home. This is pure, unadulterated Kajishima. No impedance by any outside forces. It truly just shows nobody cares. Either they can't care or they don't want to care because this is Kajishima's game now. Nobody getting in the way to stop any of it. And it's just the fucking most god-awful boring shit. Like 25 minutes... I've never seen an anime in my life where fan service and food look boring just because of the way that they are in proximity to just talking and talking. And it's nothing. It's not even, it's nothing with rare little glimpses, like I said, of like them talking about the Seiki Jin or whatever. Like it's nothing. It's just, it's, it's brutal. It's an endurance test. They would probably use this OVA to torture people. Like, I need you to talk. Uh, did you do it? Did you kill him? I don't know. All right, well, you have to watch OVA 4 until we tell you. Oh, God, please no. Oh, God. It's so boring. It The pacing is horrible. The funny thing is, I'm glad you brought this up, too. You talk about having to read the doujins to know these people. Well, here's the funny thing about that. If you read the doujins, you actually might be reading interesting stories that they're doing. But they're not actually doing anything that's actually related to those novels. It's just the characters from those novels. So you don't need to read, you only need to read those novels to know their names. And I think that's an important distinction to make because that point is used often. Some people on Crunchyroll have used it. Well, you need to read the novels to know. No, you don't. They don't do anything from the novels. The one exception to that might be Paradise War because then you might figure out why Sho has a gelatinous mech that can create black holes. Okay. You might be able to understand why Mirren and the other girl dress up like goofy Team Rocket type characters to mess around with Kenshi. Okay, Paradise War is maybe the exception to that. There's three of those novels, but there's nothing else that ever gets brought up that's ever actually an interesting plot point that you couldn't either take 10 seconds. We spent 25 fucking minutes talking about nothing. You're telling me you can't spend two minutes of that going around the table and being like, Mitoto from the Kurumitsu family. This is Amane from uh, the Yamada family and of the GP. You couldn't do that. We're sitting here jacking off, not even introducing characters at all. There's nobody who ever actually gets a, oh, this is Palti from the blah, blah, blah. Nothing. Nowhere in OVA 4 or 5. It's just, you should know who they are. Two se- t- take 10 seconds. 10 seconds. That's all you have to do with these characters. 10 seconds. Even if you have 42 characters on screen, take five seconds. This side of the family is the Masaki family, and this is Akie, and this is this, and this is that, and this is that. Just a proper introduction goes a long fucking way. But putting off something as simple as a proper introduction onto novels and then pointing the finger at fans and going, you're just not a true fan. Fuck you. No. That's a failure of the people making it. It's a failure of Kajishima. It's a failure of storytelling. It's not my fault that I don't know who these 40 people are. Take five seconds. If you watch, you know, Transformers and you don't know who these characters are, I promise you what's going to happen. A prime comes down. You know they're an Autobot. What's going to happen? Optimus and the other Autobots are going to go, who is that? That's, oh, that's blank and blank. That's Sentinel Prime. He's uh, He's from the great Cybertronian War. I heard he killed five Decepticons. 15 seconds, motherfuckers. Where is it? Where is it? You couldn't... We have to go through this whole charade 
of, well, actually, we need to make sure that Kenshi's diet is really good because if he doesn't have a really good diet, well, we need to make, uh, we have to reiterate that we can't send weapons over. Really? I have to watch a scene where Azusa and company are complaining about their wives? Why are they even shown anyway? If it's literally all about the women just talking about Kenshi. I associated more with Azusa and that entire thing and this entire anime than anybody else because he's the only person who actually acted like himself and he's the only person who had any kind of adversarial stance towards anybody. It's hilarious. I never thought ever that I would associate with Azusa, but here we are. So we were saying earlier that there was no real time given to Ryoko having a child in OVA5, Aiga having a child in OVA5. More time was actually given to the fact that Ryoki was pregnant and she got a baby shower than those two actually having children. In this episode, you get even more time of Rea having Kenshi. You see Nobuyuki walking outside Washu's lab. You know, the father thing where he's he's worried about his wife. It's uh, Is she going to be okay? You know, the, the trope of the father standing outside in the hospital waiting for his wife to give birth. That's an old 50s era thing. In the modern day, what we actually do is we have the husband usually there alongside her, helping her with breathing and whatnot. That's how we modern people do it. But no, we're going to go back to the 50s for this. Okay, 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 cool, cool. But the point is, we actually have that moment. We even have that moment where he comes in and holds his child for the first time. He thanks the doctors, Washu, no EK. We have this great scene where we have Rhea laying there, sweaty. She just finished labor. She's there with her newborn son. We have this heartfelt moment for that young family. And it's like, we don't get that for anyone else. We get it for Rhea, Nobuyuki, and Kenshi. We get to see like the naming ceremony. It's in the opening credits with the opening theme music playing. But you get to see the naming ceremony for Kenshi. They have a baby version of the Lighthawk sword that they bring up to him during the naming ceremony. All this pomp and circumstance for Kenshi. We don't get any of that for Ryoko's daughter. Ayaka's daughter. Hell, even Kiriko's son appears at the end of OVA5 with no pomp and circumstance. Even for Sena, who gets talked about throughout all of OVA4 and 5 like an ultimate Chad. But that's my first point. Nobuyuki and Rea get all this pomp and circumstance for their son's birth, but nobody else does. And lastly, but certainly not leastly, is talking about the big talking. Again, they kept talking and talking. As mentioned before, they go through talking first in a boardroom, then a bathhouse, then a sauna, then a sleepover. And funny thing, through all of this, they have the stereotypical sleazy sax music playing. I noted that as I was listening to this. They actually have the sleazy sax music while the women are half naked and talking about matters of state, mind you. Now, you can say what you will about Game of Thrones. And I've said plenty amongst my peer group about how Game of Thrones is not my cup of tea, really. It really isn't. However, as much as I've seen of Game of Thrones, because my housemates subject me to it periodically, Game of Thrones did one thing that I appreciated. When they actually had a matter of state that a bunch of dignitaries came up to and were talking about, they actually were in full garb, full robes, in a actual courtroom. They were actually in the royal court, the emperor's on the iron throne, and they're talking about business and they're talking shop. They're not lounging around in a bathhouse thinking it's just, ah, it's just a sleepover. We're talking about the fate of this one person and how it's going to affect all of our countries and how all our countries are going to unite and ally to make this happen. No, it's treated as a joke. All of this important stuff about making alliances, and it's not just this OVA. OVA 5 does the same thing. All of these political movements that are possibly earth shattering of, okay, we need to make sure that the Yamada house doesn't have too much power. We have to make sure that the uh, Masaki house doesn't have too much power. All of this is treated as a joke. That's not how politics works. Say what you will about Game of Thrones. 
they treated those decisions with the actual reverence that it requires, the actual seriousness it requires. Tenshi, it's a joke. The royal families are a joke. They don't matter. I don't know, man. This shit just sucks. Uh, <laughs> oh, moving on. Number four. Tenshi Muyo Ryooki, OVA 5, Episode 1, Stepmother, Stepsister, Inheritance, and dot dot dot. We start off the fifth OVA with 10 minutes of Tenyo and Rhea talking. Not just talking about anything, though. Really, it's Tenyo complaining for 10 minutes about how horrible Kiyone Misaki was. Because reasons. We have to make Rhea look as good as possible because... We can't just have Rhea be a cool character. Rhea can't just be this really awesome character from another world who's already really interesting. No, we have to continue to desecrate Tenchi's mother, their mother, Tenyo's mother. This one for me is up there. I voted for it, but it's absolutely up there as far as like, I think it might be the second worst episode of Tenchi ever. Just because it's not just that they keep going after Tenchi's mom because they're doing it throughout OVA 4, like little bits and pieces of it. This episode, I think, does it for like 15 minutes total, but like literally the first 10 minutes are just Rhea and Tenyo patting each other on the back for not being as bad as Kione Masaki was. And the thing that, to me, put it over the edge, just completely put it over the edge, was they said that Nobuyuki was a, quote, God, saint, and the ultimate masochist for dealing with Kione Masaki who is now a genius, scatterbrained hoarder. She's not just mean. She's not just crazy. She collects everything. She lets her home or her apartment or whatever fill up. And, oh, man, that's such a burden. Kione is such a burden on both of us. It wasn't so hard for us. It wasn't so hard for us, Rhea. Wasn't Kione such a bad person? And we had to deal with all of her shit. But it got so bad with Nobuyuki and Kione that a human rights commission had to get involved to check on Nobuyuki's well-being. I'm going to repeat that one more time. This is verbatim in the anime. A human rights commission got involved with their relationship to check on Nobuyuki. <sighs> Fuck this show, dude. It gets better, though. See, Nobuyuki, as it turns out, as is revealed in the five years later part of this, they keep talking for about half of the episode. Then there's a moment where everybody wakes up. Time skips five years forward to after Kenshi's born and basically right before the last episode of OVA 4, because that's how this works. Each OVA is coded to the previous one now. But they fast forward to five years later and turns out Nobuyuki kept diaries. And in these diaries, he explained all the things that he went through because they're essentially shuffling through Tenyo's mother's stuff to try and figure out all the stuff from Geminar that she researched because apparently she does research now. But Nobuyuki kept these diaries and apparently Tenyo's mother would correct him about things in her notes and whatnot, research on Rhea. But apparently Nobuyuki kept records of their parents' love story and that Nobuyuki was destroyed, quote, destroyed in the subtitles by Tenyo's mother every time he turned around and was slowly broken down into marriage. And this essentially is a love story where the female protagonist of this love story slowly beats on the male until he submits to her and then slowly is broken down until finally he marries her in the end. And here's the funny part, the good part. 
Rhea wants to read this love story. The love story of how her husband, her current husband, his former wife would break him down until finally they got married at the end and how he was a masochist and with quote psychological terror what the fuck Rhea wants to read that shit you're just sitting there and you're like man really but while they're talking about this that psychological terror part the art is atrocious <laughs> i put it up on the article it's not an in-between shot you look at that that screenshot that is literally on screen as they're talking and their mouths are moving. And I'm like, oh my God, how much money did they pay for this? $5? <laughs> literally anybody on DeviantArt could have done a better job than this. Anybody, any any human being could have. And the, it's such a bad juxtaposition too, because where they're sitting, the living room actually looks kind of normal. Like it's not great, but it's not, you know, it's not bad. And then you look at these characters who they probably spent like an hour on and then just we're like, fuck it. And you're just like, oh my God. And then there's another one when Jovia stands up. Because that's another funny thing, Pi. Uh, they switch subtitles. The Crunchyroll subtitles. The first time that Jovia shows up, her name is Jovia. And then from after that episode, it's Jovia. Anyway. Well, we also have Ayaka in this series too, which admittedly OVA4 did that too. Switch between Ayaka, the way we usually have it spelled, A-Y-E-K-A, but then they change it to Ayaka, A-Y-A-K-A. There's no consistency because whoever subtitled this also didn't care. I think it's one of my favorite comments that I saw when OVA5 was coming out. Someone said from the writers, the animators all the way down to the people who were subtitling this it was clear that no one gave a fuck but the, the point i was trying to get to was when something's going on with kenshi and ryooki and jovia outside they have everybody turn and look in that direction tenyo and Rhea look bad but they apparently have forgotten how to draw human beings turned at any other angle other than three-fourths from the front. Rhea literally has her neck cranked back like an owl. And it's just, that's it. That's how they drew it. And I'm just like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> they didn't even make an attempt to change it. Like, wow, this is bad. This is really, really bad. Also, in another bit of delightful ignorance of essentially anything outside of, I don't know, family politics, I suppose. It was mentioned, I think, Dagon, you mentioned this, that Tenyo's mother here is listed as being a genius. She did research into Rhea and all of this stuff. She's basically a scientist now because reasons, as well as being a hoarder and a psychopath and a high-functioning sociopath or some other nonsense. There was a line in here in, that said that she was smart enough to make assistant professor if she wanted from all of the notes and all the samples that she took from the academy. Academy. I paused for a moment. Spoiler, until uh, until very recently, I actually was a teacher at university. I know what the job titles are at university. I'll have you know, assistant professor is the bottom of the tenure track positions. It's an entry level professorial position. It's like the managerial positions that say a store or a company or whatnot. You have assistant professor, you have associate professor, and then what we call full professor or just professor. It's the same as assistant manager, associate manager, and general manager. It's the same ranking. It's a job title. That's literally what all professor is, is a job title. So you're saying she's a genius, but she's smart enough to become an assistant professor. You do realize assistant professor is literally the bitch basic entry level position, right? Uh, the other thing, they literally say that aside from the fact that Keone didn't tell anybody about Rhea 
specifically probably because they didn't want anybody else to find out because she wanted to treat her as a human toy, which that can go either way. Not that I want to see that on Keone fucking Masaki, but you know. We find out that the entire plan all along, not even from the time of OVA4, but apparently before that, before everything else was... Either Kione wanted to go back herself to Geminar, which we now know is normal because they send humans to Geminar all the time, apparently. But the fact that the plan all along was to send Kenshi to Geminar, but then Tenchi was born and got in the way of that, and then Kione died. Tenchi, being born, got in the way of the main plot of Tenchi Muyo Ryooki. Oh, it gets better. In the same line, the research was interrupted by Tenchi's birth and meeting Sena. I will say this, you know, making a chicken salad out of chicken shit. I'm looking at the stuff with Jovia, and I don't hate Jovia. I'll be honest with you. Same thing with the Paradise War characters. I don't hate them because I don't know anything about them. There's nothing that they've done that's inherently bad. The stuff with Jovia is actually pretty cool. It's like, oh, she can summon this monster. Oh, this monster's a, you know, lava. We don't know why, we don't know how, we don't know who. Again, five seconds. Oh, this is Jovia-chan from Fuck Off Universe, and she can do this. Cool. But we don't get that. All of the stuff that she does with Kenshi is actually interesting. And it's like, why is OVA 4 and 5 being done in this way? I would have been much more okay. It would have sucked. I would have not liked it. I would have been much more okay if they would have just committed to Paradise War thing. It's like Geminar. Like, I don't hate Geminar. It has a lot of problems, but it is its own thing for the most part. There's a quote from King of the Hill where Bobby is getting into Christian rock because it looks cool. And this was, of course, a big thing in the 90s. I'll never forget this quote. At the very end of the episode, Hank is pulling Bobby away from the pastor or whatever. He's like, Bobby, we got to go. And Bobby's like, oh, dad, you're embarrassing me. And the pastor comes down and says, what are you doing, man? You're, this is how we worship. And Hank goes, you're not making Christianity better. You're making rock music worse. That's literally what this is. You're not making Tenchi Muyo better. You're making Tenchi Muyo worse by introducing these characters that nobody cares about. None of these characters get a chance. And none of these characters will ever get a chance with anybody who just watches the anime. Because... You're going to remember them as the characters who stole time away from the characters who matter. All the while being told by not the main characters that the main characters don't matter and that everybody else does. It's storytelling 101 and it's just a big middle finger to that. One more little cherry on top to all of this. I already went at odds about the whole the gods are basically instant win button and they have conflicts with their properties being like omniscient and omnipotent and whatnot. This is the episode where Chibi Tokimi comes down while Ray and Tenyo are having their little chat over tea for like 10-12 minutes. Little Chibi Tokimi comes down and lands on Tenyo's head and proceeds to explain that and remind everyone that she made Geminar. I, I made it happen is basically what she says. And she wants to create more characters like Tenchi, and she doesn't say Zed, but Zed is another character that's implied to be someone who has great power like Tenyo's brother. She wants to keep her interference in there to a minimum. This is her experiment of trying to make more people like Tenchi and Zed. So she has to keep her interference to a minimum to make sure that it lies outside of her omniscience. And again, if you're a god and you're omniscient, that means you know everything. So how can something be outside of your omniscience? Again, the logical fallacies start adding up after a while. Yeah, you know, you'd think she'd be able to like see into the future and see the last episode of War on Geminar where 
Kenshi, if you kill Gaia, I'll let you get all the gems you want. Okay, Lighthawk Sword, Gaia's dead. Well, here's a funny thing. She can see into the future. Because in OVA 2, episode 5, after... Clay is captured and D3 and Tokimi are talking back and forth. And Zed's there in the background, by the way, in shadows there in all of this. The two of them are talking back and forth about what the possibilities are. And D3 asks Tokimi, you are looking to the future, aren't you, my lady? And she says, uh, just merely possibilities. And it's like, she can see into the future. She can. That's the point. She's omniscient. She knows the future. Until it's inconvenient to the plot. <laughs> uh, fuck. This is why you have trouble writing godlike characters. If you throw the omnis out there, omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, which is being everywhere all at once. If you throw all of those omnis out there, you have to somehow write weaknesses into a godlike character. And that contradicts what their properties are. You can't do that. Uh, is it over yet? Number three, Tenshi Muyo Ryooki, OVA 4, Episode 2, The Masaki Destiny. Continuing from where Episode 1 left off, more of the same, talking about Rea's wedding, with the first 10 minutes dedicated to characters from GXP, I don't just mean GXP, GXP, I mean the GXP novels, and Rea talking about the upcoming wedding, and they send Asena's friend off, because this is at the beginning of OVA 4, first two or three episodes or whatever take place before a time skip, and they actually take place during OBA3. Changing of character backstories, now the old lady, her name is Akie, and she's related to Tenchi's aunt from the first episode of OVA2, which you would not know from the anime, and you also would not even get if you missed it, because they say it once. And we're still, <laughs> we're still, like, Yosho and Nobuyuki are talking, and Yosho's like, oh, you're a bit more cold, a little bit more uh, mean. And he's just like, oh, well, it must have been from uh, being around Kione all those years. And he basically says that Kione would probably push him to get married again, too, because, of course. And the rest of it is dedicated to uh, Tenchi's space aunt, Minaho, who showed up in the first episode of OVA 4 and basically is acting as a touchy-feely version of Noike from OVA 3. Uh, and I mentioned it in the article, and I'm going to mention it again because it's important. People hate incest. They do. Normal people hate incest. It makes you wince. It makes you recoil. It is something that makes people disgusted. And the reason in something like Daughter of Darkness that people are reviled by it is because of the nature of it. It's supposedly Tenchi's daughter in Daughter of Darkness. Her doing the things that she's doing and trying to get close to him is supposed to make you revile. That's the whole point. In OVA 4, episode 2, it's celebrated. Tenchi only acts as somebody who is literally just seeing a woman giving him affection regardless of their blood standing or anything like that. And nobody puts up a fight. The scene in particular where Minaho says that they're going to go to the bath and Ryoko and Aika just kind of look at each other like, what are we going to do? And then Aika doesn't say anything because she's a doormat at this point. And Ryoko just questions it. And Minaho goes, well, you can join us. And Ryoko's like, ah, yeah, never mind. Fuck me. Really? This is supposed to be taking place at the same time as OVA 3, where just the mention of someone being around Tenshi would have sent Ryoko off the wall. And here it's just like, oh, well, you know, I could get mad, but that would get in the way of moving the plot forward. So, you know, just have fun. 
Now, you mentioned that this episode is very much in the same vein as how they treated Noek and OVA3. And point of fact, this actually is set right before the special episode of OVA3 as they're getting ready for the wedding between Rhea and Nobuyuki. So yeah, this is like days after all the shit that happened with Zed and the Kuramitsus. So this isn't that far in the future, honestly. So let's do a little comparison. In OVA3, episode two introduces Noek, but episode three of OVA3, you have the episode where Noek is basically the main character. It's her spotlight episode where she gets alone time with Tenshi. Now, here's a funny story. If you watch OVA3 episode three, the episode opens with her standing over Tenshi with a glowing orb over his head as he starts to sweat and fidget underneath the sheets. And then the next morning, he's ill. I contest that she actually made him sick so that she could nursemaid him and have him all to herself through the entire episode, which is a villainous thing to do. But uh, whatever, it's in the service of the plot, right? It's not like she made him sick permanently or anything. She just basically poisoned him to have him all to herself, which would be, oh, I don't know, cultish-like behavior to separate someone from their friend group, to have them all to yourself so you can essentially put ideas into their head and have them all yours and have all of their attention all centered on you. Just saying. But anyway... In that episode, there was a manufactured reason, but there was a reason why Tenchi was spending all his time with Noike. He was ill and she was nursing him. And she was forcefully keeping everyone away so that he could, quote, recover over the next three days. And they spend time talking with each other. They spend time, they go and bathe together. They sleep in the same room together. All of this stuff together, right? Okay, look at OVA4 episode two. Same thing. It is the exact same plot. Minaho shows up. She has some miscellaneous stuff at the beginning of the episode, but she eventually drags Tenchi to the bath with Ryuoki, by the way. She then proceeds to, again, take a bath with Ryuoki and Tenchi, much like with Noike, took a bath with Kyoko on her special uber super ship. And then at the end of the day, after hoarding Tenchi to herself, she sleeps in Tenchi's bed with Tenchi on the floor and Ryuki hopping between the two of them. And they have a nightly conversation. It's the exact same plot. I mentioned my reasons for claiming that Noike was a Mary Sue in OVA3. I present to you basically the exact same argument from Minaho here. She does the exact same thing. She puts Ryoko and Aika in their places. She even tells Noike, hey, I can take care of all the washing. You don't have to worry about it. She Mary Sues the Mary Sue because she's the new hotness. She's the one who's going to come in and basically be the spotlight character. So everybody else needs to shuffle to the side and let me take the spotlight. Let Minaho take all the spotlight. That's literally the plot of this episode is Minaho is great. Isn't she so great? We should respect Minaho. And again, Ryoko and Aika just roll over. They just say, okay, cool. Okay, aces. We could bring all the girls into the bath and all bathe together. Oh, no, no, no. That's pushing it too far. <laughs> if this thing wasn't already mutating into a harem show anyway, right? So a couple things with this one. Starts out with Kai, Sana's friend, his mom, Catching him sneaking condoms into his bag as he's getting ready to go off on some trip to make new friends. You know, whatever. But then as the conversation goes on, all of the GXP characters show up. They start harassing her about her love life, which, by the way, you know, she's Kai and Kiriko's mother, but she apparently also has the hots for Sena. So she's basically, she's going to compete with her daughter over who gets Sena. So there's that. See, I watched OVA4 fan subbed, and the fan subs are not great. And they also have 
what feels like paragraph long translators notes in them. And they tell you that, oh, the old woman from the Onsen episode from OVA1. Turns out it's actually Yosho's daughter from his first wife. Why that needed to be the case, who knows? I guess just to add to the number of bodies in Masaki Village, which, okay. But, you know, eventually we get to Nobuyuki and Katsuhito. They're having a drink with each other up in Yosho's place up in the shrine. And it's more of the same more shitting on Tenchi's mom. Yosho talks about how crazy she could be and how Nobuyuki would help balance that out. But oh, by the way, she hated it here on Earth so much at one point that she looked down on everybody and called everybody who lived here all the Earthlings gorillas, which, <laughs> okay. I forgot about that, God. Yeah. Oh, so the incest stuff with Manaho. So yeah, her and Tenchi go to the bath together with Ryooki. They end up washing each other. Tenchi washes her back, she washes his. You also get to see Tenchi looking fairly jacked this time around. And he's gotten older working out in the fields, I guess. But, you know, that scene's pretty interesting because when Tenchi goes to wash her back. At first, he's hesitant to because he's like, ah, she's a crown princess of Jirai. Is it right for me to do this, even if she's my aunt? Then he notices that she has these scars all over her back. You know, Tenchi asks her about them. He's like, why do you have all these scars on your back? It looks bad. And don't they have some kind of technology out in space to get rid of these scars? And she's like, oh, no, I keep them there as kind of like a memento. And he's like, well, how did you get them? And she goes, oh, Irie did it to me. And I'm just sitting there like, I, am I supposed to? It's it's Irie's in the same boat with Seto as far as I'm concerned, because like Seto is written like a traditional villain in a lot of ways. And I don't know if I'm supposed to hate Seto or not. And after I saw that, I was like, am I supposed to hate Irie at this point? Because it's like she performed experiments on her daughter and left these big scars all over her daughter's back. And Manaho tries to justify it. that, Like, well, you know, without prior experimentation, you don't know what the consequences will be. And, you know, I, I did this to help my mother because of something she got blamed for caused like a mass suicide. And I'm just like, I don't know what it is with some of the older female characters that Kajishima writes. Like he writes them like villains, but yet I'm not supposed to hate them. She goes on to talk about how, oh yeah, you know, I was her guinea pig for the experiments. And it just, it makes no sense to me. But the other thing, since I watched this fan subbed during the part where Tenchi, Manaho, and Ryooki are all sleeping together in Tenchi's room. I mean, yeah, Tenchi's sleeping on the floor. Manaho and Ryooki are in his bed. But one of the reasons she's there visiting Tenchi is because she tells him that, like, look, we're going to tell people that Yosho's actually alive. And when we do this, some things are going to change around here. And especially for you, because when they find out Yosho's alive and you're his grandson, they're going to know you're basically the next one in line for the throne of Jirai. And when all this happens, because technology on Earth is increasing at a rapid rate, and it's easier to spread information around the world, you may not get a choice in the matter and you may have to leave Earth to go and live on Jirai because we're not really supposed to be here. On the one hand, you think, oh, that's kind of a heavy hitter putting Tenchi on the spot like that, where you're going to have to make a choice and man up, Tenchi. You know, are you going to 
try and fight it and stay here, go fulfill your destiny and become the next crown prince of Jirai. But again, I watched this fan subbed and there's about almost a paragraph long translator's note that says, well, none of this matters anyway, because in Paradise War, Jirai annexes Earth. So because of that, Tenchi can stay there with all the girls and whatnot. And it's just like, this is the biggest fucking waste of time. If all this shit gets retconned in the end, what's the point? This OVA is the shortest of all of them. It's only four episodes. And we've wasted about half of this episode because of shit that gets retconned later. To do the parallel with Noike here, Noike has, again, her sob story of how she was abandoned by her mother, got wasn't an orphanage, until, you know, she got the golden ticket by becoming Seto's adopted daughter. Minaho has the royal family connection outright, but she has their tragic backstory where her mother experimented on her, and it was awful, it was terrible. But JK, not really. I still love my mother, I still work for her, and everything's cool. Everything's totally cool. I have to take a soapbox for a moment and say the way that scientists in general are portrayed in all three of these OVAs is absolutely reprehensible. You not only have an OVA three where they say that, well, philosophers have to know how to melee fight because when you get into a harsh debate, you need to be able to prove yourself with your fists. No, that's not how that works. Oh, you could be so smart. You could be an assistant professor. That's the bottom rung of the entire tenure ladder. And that's not even close to being a genius level professorial position. And here you have ethics violations and in OVA5 that talk about ethics investigations into spousal abuse, basically. And it's like, that's not how reputable scientists work. Admittedly, Washu is portrayed as the genius mad scientist and universe in particular to, if you don't mind me, jump out of this continuity for a moment. Washu is portrayed as this genius scientist who has very questionable ethics of weapon development and doing all this very illegal research and questionable research. What happens to her? She gets drummed out of the academy. She gets kicked out and exiled for 700 years because that's what you do when someone breaks the rules. However, Look at all these people who break the rules in the OVA continuity. You have Irie, who experiments on her daughter, leaves these scars, which human experimentation is something that you have to sign a lot of paperwork in order to even broach the possibility of doing it, uh, let alone to your own child. And then you have Kioni Masaki, Tenyo's mother, who abuses her husband, and on top of that, also does experiments and research on this child, Rhea being a child, when she isekais from Geminar over to here. So you're doing research on a child, which is highly questionable, and you have to sign a lot of waivers and ethics things from that. And no, that's not how this works. As someone who's done professional research in the sciences, allow me to tell you how this actually works. When you actually do a research grant, you have to write a proposal telling exactly what you're going to do. Because if you don't tell exactly what you're going to do and someone finds out, they will cut your funding. And when they cut your funding, you can't actually get anything done. You can't pay your graduate students. You can't pay yourself. You can't essentially get time off from teaching classes so that you can actually spend time doing the research that you want to do. And when you do actually publish a paper, you have to actually disclose all the finances that helped you do your research because there needs to not be a conflict of interest so that you don't get in trouble of being biased against, say, oh, I don't know, a pharmaceutical corporation or a government or something of the sort. You have to expose 
all of your biases so that you don't do something illegal and that you don't do something questionable, that you're not biased, that your findings are truthful. And all of this, all of the portrayal of science in all of these OVAs makes me fucking furious as a scientist myself. This is reprehensible. These people would be drummed out of whatever university or whatever research think tank that they were in, in a goddamn heartbeat, minute it got out. In a minute. And don't get me wrong, there are people who are grant machines at universities who do questionable things, but you know what they do? They would end up keeping it under wraps where people don't find out. Or they pay people off and bribes and are there corruption? Yeah, there's corruption out there. I'm not going to lie. But the minute that gets outed, they get disavowed like that. They get drummed out or squirreled away into some dark corner so that they don't become an embarrassment to the school. They do that immediately because they want to keep their universities with their prestige. This shit would not fly. And there's my suspension of disbelief. I'm sorry. This makes no sense and would be immediately thrown out. So I'm sorry. I cannot suspend my disbelief anymore. This is garbage. These are supposed to be the main characters. These are supposed to be the protagonists. And we're supposed to feel for these people. That's the most fucked up thing about Kiyone Masaki is they will say that she's the most horrendous being ever. And then they'll turn around and be like, but she loved you. Get, get out of here with that. Get out of here with that glorifying of abusive relationships or shit. Get out. Fuck you. Get out of here. Like, no, we're not going to play that game. But apparently we're going to play that game because that's exactly what they do with everybody. They do it with Seto. They've now done it with Irie. They do it with everybody. Why are we rooting for these people? There's not a single redeemable thing about these people. Everything that they do has now turned into this like Jirai royal family. We just do whatever we want and everybody else can eat it. And you just think as you're sitting there bored out of your mind after like these episodes that go on for 25 minutes at a time, you're like, man, I would give for a Serio to come in here and just bomb this whole place. I would love for a pirate to come out of here and just go, nah, and just nuke this whole place. Like, I, I don't want to root for these characters. Why would I? This is actually where I'll throw in something from a little honorable mention from GXP. I don't like GXP that much. I've watched it all, It's and I tolerated it. However, there's one episode that I actually voted for in Best of the Best. It was GXP episode 18. Not 17. Not the one where the main cast from Tenchi guest stars. No, 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 that was garbage. Because it follows the same tropes as everything else. It was episode 18. And here's why. It was when Serio had to overcome hardship, where he had to actually fight to get something that he desired. He had to work hard. And the funny thing is, it's juxtaposed against Sena just hanging out with his girls. He's lazing around, he fails upward, and Serio has to fight for everything he wants. That literally describes to me what the OVA ends up becoming is that you fail upward. You are praised for the ills that you do, for the evil that you do, for the laziness that you do. Not for your hard work, because hard work is hard. And we need to actually reward just sitting around and being peaceful and get your dick sucked, apparently. Number two, Tenchi Muyo Ryooki, OVA 5, Episode 5. Quote, I am sure you have your opinion on the matter, but please consider the matter closed. End quote. Episode 5 starts off with another time skip, and yet more exposition on how Kenji is doing. Minaho, who is Tenchi's space aunt, who says that she looks exactly like Tenchi's mother, but looks nothing like Tenchi's mother, laments about how Kenji is being groomed to Seto's liking. And eventually we see Kenji going through the rigors of learning how to be mentally, physically, 
monetarily max level his power level is maximum and we get to giga chad sena and tenchi calling sena senpai because of now having a harem of his own and we get to the very end of the episode which is them making the harem official i have to say another moment minaho man i really i just i really don't like that Kenshi is being groomed by Seto. Well, it's not just Seto. It's literally everybody. Literally everybody agreed to do this. It's not just Seto, but, you know, she could take the heat. That's fine. And then it gets hand-waved away like, I tried to do it, uh, but you know, there's just nothing I can do. And to which I will quote the name of the episode. I'm sure you have your opinion on the matter, but consider the matter closed. Remember, kids, if things aren't going your way in life, Never try and change things for the better and just suffer. Again, hand-waving. Everything is hand-waved. There's such a big deal made about we can't send anything to Geminar. We can't send weapons to Geminar. We can't do this. We can't do this. When we get to Tenchi's wedding, in quotes here, Azusa says this will probably cause problems, but YOLO. What? We may, we're literally making such a big deal about, like, interfering with this other world and we're basically just like oh you guys are still on earth ah well you know we'll deal with it well <laughs> earth is where you live earth is the thing that you're dealing with right now why are you not taking the same approach to that oh well because you can just mind white people now apparently okay why again why didn't we do that with geminar why why are we hand waving this oh well because that would get in the way of the plot <sighs> just Tenchi's catalyst from his own mouth for getting married is he kept hearing about Sanukun's wedding plans, and so now he's going to get married too. Yeah, from the previous episode. Says he's jealous of Sana, as we talked about before, and when we were talking about one of the previous episodes, that the harem ending had pretty much been locked in. This one sees it through to fruition. Marries all of them. Azusa's like, yeah, you know, this may cause some issues, but... Ah, well, I mean, what does it really matter? Because, I mean, they're the most powerful fuckers in the whole universe. Who's going to fight them? Who's going to really question it? Does it really matter? No, not really. Yeah, Sena Senpai, that... Oh, uh, the first time I went through this episode, I had to stop and just belly laugh. Because I was like, we've devolved to the point, you know, we not only good-hanked Tenchi when it comes to Kenshi, but also kind of in a similar way with Sena. Though you have an opinion on the matter, please consider the matter closed. When this episode dropped, I remember seeing someone say, you know, I feel like Kajishima's trying to tell us something here. And, you know, once again, yeah, he is. This is Kajishima just saying, you may have had a preference among one of the girls. You may not like the harem ending. Or even if you do, it doesn't matter. This is the way it is, and this is just how it's going to be. I'll be honest, by this point, I was pretty checked out of all of this, especially watching it all in a row. I don't know how you did it, Pi. I muscled man my way through it, I swear. So here are my two points. One, there is a big deal there in the middle where Seto, Fanaho, and Misaki are like going to everyone's house, basically saying, you're making those babies, right? They literally get up and like Kiriko and all of Sena's wives' faces, basically, you're doing those conjugal duties, right? Hit, hit, nudge, nudge. Fuck. And it's just, look. Is maintaining the bloodline that important? You have how many wives and how many branches of dry royal family at this point? That's the thing. Many of the characters are basically diluted down to, you making those babies? If you ain't making those babies, you're not important anymore. 
Because that's what it sounds like at this point. And I'm kind of surprised that we didn't spin that around on Tenchi's characters at this point. But uh, Saina's characters, definitely. But again, they're officially married. So uh, I guess that's the order is uh, first the marriage and then the baby carriage or something. But what I actually want to spend a bit more time on, much like the last episode we just talked about, about uh, basically this cognitive dissonance between reality and what the writing of these episodes actually depicts as being reality. So in the last one, I went off about the fact that the way they portray science in general is wrong. But other thing here is training. I trained with martial arts for several years of my life. I've since fallen off of the wagon a bit because I've been changing careers of late, as well as trying to maintain a academic career. However, here's the thing. I did train martial arts and I know what it entails. It entails, yes, sparring and whatnot. And there's some talk here and there of like Tenshi actually sparring with Aiken Sasami, which would have been kind of cool to see, but we never get to see that. No, no, we're not going to see that. But when it comes to training Kenshi, what do you see? You see Kenshi being chased around, thrown around, beaten up by everyone. Because every member of the extended Misaki family or the Kuramitsu family basically comes in and wallops him. Like, shows their special skill and then kicks his ass. That's basically what it does for like five episodes at this point. And here's the thing. What is training actually? Yes, there's sparring involved. But what you're supposed to do is say, okay, you just got your ass beat. How did I beat you? How did I win? What should you have done? Hey, here's a technique. Try it on me. See what happens. And the trainer, the instructor, should actually instruct the student. Show where they made their errors. Show what they should have done correctly. Demonstrate. Have a sparring partner where someone at the same level as them, so they can essentially ironing, sharpening iron, as they say. Essentially, each of you filing each other down to a sharper point, becoming stronger together. And not just one-sided, oh, the instructor beats your ass. In the 80s, you used to see this a lot with live-action movies. You DVDA, the South Park band, basically parody this in, you're gonna need a montage because in the 80s, that was a big thing. You'd have a montage of showing a whole lot of steps all happening at once, and the main character, the protagonist, slowly getting better at the skill each time you see them. For example, Rocky was really known for this. He'd start off really weak, and it's like, speed, speed! And you see him get stronger and faster. He'd be running behind the bicycle. He gets better with every single thing. With most of the, quote, training sessions in this episode and the next, and hell, most of OVA5, it's just Kenshi getting his ass beat. That's it. It's him losing over and over and over again. Not getting stronger, not getting better, losing consistently until the last episode. Then he suddenly gets good. You never once see a character teach him a technique. You never see him try a technique and successfully get better at that technique. You just see him fail, 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 then suddenly win, win, win. There's no in-between. It's so binary of doesn't know how to do it, suddenly gets it. It's like the Scott Pilgrim where doesn't get it, ting, gets it. Where's the progress? If this whole thing, this whole OVA is dedicated to showing Kenshi growing up and becoming the person we know in Geminar, Show the progress. Don't just show him doing a bunch of stuff and failing at it. Show him actually having a minor success here and there. Shonen shows get this. You introduce a new villain. Yes, he comes in and beats the ass of, say, Goku. Raditz showed up, beat Goku, killed Goku. What'd he do? He went to Snake Way. He went to King Kai. You see him train with King Kai. You see him chase Bubbles. You see him chase Gregory. You see him do all of this stuff. Then when he comes back, he's stronger for it. 
you see the progress. You Hell, you see the other characters, they don't go to King Kai, they go to Kami's Tower and Mr. Popo. And you see them actually train and do stuff, try their techniques, make mistakes, and get better. You don't see that here at all. This seems to want to have the shonen tropes, but not have the shonen tropes. You want to have your cake, but actually bake the damn thing. Pi, I don't really think it matters, because though you might have an opinion on the matter, it's already been decided. Oh, for fuck's sake. Please consider the matter closed. The one thing that I appreciated that they did something with Misaki and Fanaho, but in service to, again, just using characters to just do something with Kenshi, and I feel like you're not making these characters better. You're just doing it at the expense of Tenchi Muyo Ryooki. Oh yeah, by the way, Tenchi's grandmother, who's married to uh, Yosho, just kidding she's they're not actually married and they make a big point of this because they're giving minaho shit about not being married and they're like well you guys aren't technically married she's like you're not technically married and it's just like well that would have caused an uproar because he's technically still dead and i'm like i didn't know whether to be impressed or just be like well i mean you're literally having tenshi get married to everybody and just hand waving the problems away why didn't you just hand wave the problems away of him being dead Funny thing, too, about Manaho is that they give her shit for not being married, and she even gives Tenshi shit when she finds out that he's getting married, because it's like, oh, my nephew beat me to the altar. They say that, oh, yeah, the reason she's not married is because of Seto. So there again, it's all Seto's fault, but I'm supposed to not hate her. Number one, Tenshi Muyo, Ryooki, OVA4, Episode 1, The Day Before the Party. We're introduced to Ryooki slipping through the floors and wanting to having this fantasy of waking up Tenchi and that's what all of OVA4 does in the opening which is actually a better use of funds I guess you'd say than the way that OVA5 did it because OVA5's opening is just hilarious they all wake up in the morning and that's pretty much when we go oh by the way here's Minaho oh by the way Irie and Tenyo and Mihoshi's grandmother whose name escapes me Mikami Mikami, that's right. She's now in a younger body because she felt like it. Well, actually, excuse me. She's in a younger body because she felt like it because she's also going to try and seduce the new cadets coming into the GP. A theme with all of the older women in the series. Pretty much just going through the motions, a ton of talking, and Minaho. And the only thing I have to say about this is I can see why it's number one on the list because anybody who came in and watched this first episode probably had the same reactions that you did pie that you said you had with OVA 3 episode 2. The same feeling I had when I first heard Mona Marshall coming out of Ryoko's mouth. You realize that the Tenchi Muyo that you once loved is long dead. And it's not going to get better. And the pain will go on. I can see why people voted for this. I voted for this in my top 10. It wasn't my number one most hated for sure, but I, I get it. You know, you talk about Mikami going into a... A younger body so she can try and seduce the young male cadets coming in and you know we touched on some of the incest stuff both of those aspects are also put on full display here at the end of the episode because i mean i guess you could write it off as a joke if you want to but given the themes throughout a lot of kajishima stuff i'm inclined not to believe that you know manaho says you know what you're so cute i'm gonna take you I'm going to take uh, my sister's son as my own, tells Tenchi to go out with her. So there's that. That's how the first episode of OVA 4 ends. Oh, this is another example of uh, Kajishima's storytelling from this episode. 
thanks to the original plot novels that he wrote, specifically the one for OVA4. So in this episode, at one point, Manaho gives Ayaka a bunch of boxes of Jiraiyan silk. And, you know, Ryoko is the one who delivers it to her. And they, you know, they look at the silk, they open the boxes up. And Ayaka's talking about how impressive it is. And Ryoko's like, oh, yeah, that really is impressive stuff. And Ayaka's like, well, how would you know that? And Ryoko goes, well, you know, I used to be a space pirate after all. And it's like, remember, which used to be a space pirate? Pepperidge Farm remembers. But yeah, like, oh, yeah, she did actually used to be a space pirate decades ago in real life. Yeah. Hang on, hang on. There's actually a problem with that. Because when she was, quote, a space pirate, she was under Kagato's thrall. So certainly she probably picked up stuff incidentally during all of that. But wouldn't Kagato have been the one in the driver's seat for a lot of that? She wasn't doing this of her own volition. And how much of that did she actually pick up? It's a good question. I don't know that that ever gets answered. Don't ask questions. Just consume product. But the thing with the silk that is fascinating is that apparently according to the original plot novel that Kajishima wrote because oh they didn't explain it correctly or how I wanted them to in the anime Ayaka basically pulls a Neo from the Matrix and she can see the code in the silk because there's apparently a hidden coded message in the silk that only she can read and it refers to her and all the other girls as the wives of Tenchi and it's sort of implied that the whole reason they got sent the silk is for Aika to make their wedding gowns and whatnot. Okay, I guess. Why is that really all that important? And if it is, why did it have to go in the original plot novel and not the anime itself? You know, OVA 4, episode 1. So this is when you first learn about Masaki Village proper. And you learn that the houses down at the base of the mountain near Tenchi's house. Well, it's not just, you know, random civilians or earthlings or, you know, kind of like how it was treated back during the OVA one era when they crashed into the Seto bridge. And Oh my God, how are we going to explain this to people? No, it turns out that the town below the shrine and where they live is Masaki village. That's where all these other Jiraiyans who are a part of the Masaki household have taken up residence. They live these extremely long lives compared to the Earthlings. And you didn't know that all along, but his extended family has lived there for a while. You just never knew, which is funny because you go back to OVA 1 and... I mean, I don't know, I guess Kajishima just argues that it was predetermined or pre-planned will of the goddesses. I don't know that in OVA 1, Ryoko shrinks the house and they all end up crashing where they do. Just feels very contrived to me. It's like, yeah, all along, your extended family's been living right not too far from the shrine. You just never knew it. You never notice that everybody in this town looks the same and has basically the same facial features and that all of you have basically the same tone of hair just with different styles or anything. And all of you are basically cousins. Yeah, it's bad fan fiction. <laughs> she can read the silk with a code. Okay, dude. Okay, cool, cool story. Then the Crunchyroll subs, it says that these are all fine silk, and she gets the implication from looking at the silk that we're supposed to make gowns for everyone for the wedding because if we're all to be Tenshi's, 
then we're going to have to make public appearances. She tells us to Ryoko, it's like, if you're going to be with Tenshi as well as I'm with Tenshi, we're going to have to make public appearances once all of this is revealed and you'll have to stand beside him. And she's like, oh, I will? So you're going to have to make one for me too? And it's like, yes, I am. And I'm like, what? Ryoko fucking destroyed Jiraiya, right? So, oh, it's all forgiven. We're, we're going to perfectly be fine with her standing next to the crown prince as his wife, as they're doing matters of state. They're not going to have to explain that at all. No, no. The most wanted criminal who admittedly was in the thrall of someone else, who is known for blowing the planet up, probably and hopefully at least the implication back in the day of killing multiple people, including possibly Sasami at the time, because again, that whole thread got dropped of Sasami wondering if she a construct of tsunami or not because again one of the princesses was possibly killed in ryoko's attack on dry we don't have to explain that or all the emotional pain of people who were actually having their houses burned during ryoko's assault no no that's all that's all fine it's fine it'll be fine well remember azusa says it himself in ova5 this may cause some issues but oh well you know what else i love about that too is they make such a big deal of saying that they've annexed the earth and shit so Tenchi doesn't have to move or go anywhere but Earth. He's the most powerful being ever. Who's going to tell him he has to go anywhere? Who's going to tell him that he has to make appearances? Hey guys, I don't feel like making an appearance today. Well, you have to. Fuck with me. That's literally it. He's so OP at this point. Again, after OVA 3, he literally, in some of the episodes of OVA 4 and 5, blips into the atmosphere, nukes all of these ships, whether he captures them or whatnot, but he just basically can snap his fingers and everything's gone and blip back to the Earth like nothing ever happened. He does this with Kenshi several times in OVA 5. It's like, oh, there's a disturbance in the force. My people need me. Whip up there, does his thing, blip. Ah, uh, sorry, I was gone. I'm back. Why would he go anywhere but Earth if they make such a big point of saying, oh, he doesn't have to leave the planet because he doesn't want to leave the planet? But I... This entire podcast has been comprised of nothing but OVA 3, 4, and 5 episodes. My personal opinion, I think OVA 3 is the worst of the three we've been discussing here. 5 is the next worst OVA, and then OVA 4 would be the one that's the least egregious, in my opinion. But I can see why this episode made it to number 1, because if you were one of the people who, even after OVA 3, even after GXP... You were holding out hope, or you may have even disagreed with myself or Dagon or even Pi that OVA4, it won't be that bad if it comes out. They can course correct or whatever the case may be. And you gave the first episode of OVA4 an honest to God shot and you watched it and you finished it, or maybe you watched it and didn't even finish it. And you were just like, you know what? The writing's on the wall. I've seen it firsthand now. And Tenji, as I knew it, at least in regards to the OVA, it's pretty well done, and it's no longer what it once was. So I can see why this one made it to number one. Everybody who voted, you voted right. There might have been different positions in your mind about where something might have been, but I mean, ultimately, I... I agree. I mean, Tenchi Muyo is dead. It's being paraded around in the same vein as Weekend at Bernie's. Like, they're sticking a branch up his ass and parading him around to get people excited about whatever Paradise War, War on Jibinar, whatever that stuff is. But it's it's Tenchi Muyo in name only. OVA4, I think, being number one, kind of proved that to people. There's nothing for them to course correct because this is the course right into Shit Mountain. And there's no coming back, at least as far as the OVA is concerned. How I would put it this way is the Tenchimoyo OVA, when it stopped in 1995 with the end of OVA 2, it went into the wilderness and was dormant for a long time, for about eight years. Then in 2003, it came back out. But what came out 
wasn't Tenshi Moyu anymore. It's like the old Skinwalker tales. Someone goes and gets pulled into the wilderness, and what comes back, it looks like your friend. It's not actually your friend anymore. Something inside has changed. And if you look long enough, you'll start noticing that it's waving just that little bit wrong. And you don't see it at first, but if you look at it long enough, you start seeing the fangs and the tears in the skin, and you realize you've already walked into the trap. I have spent a long time dwelling on how to think about the OVA. I mean, admittedly, I've said this before in the Best of the Best podcast and many times before. I came in with the universe. I came in with Tenshi Muyo in Love specifically. I came in with the Achika Masaki version of Tenshi's Mother. That movie, to me, is still pinnacle Tenshi. And it might be nostalgia talking. It might be. I don't think it entirely is. One thing I've tried to do in this podcast specifically is focus on the story, the problems that the story has, the storytelling issues that this thing has. Admittedly, every story has its flaws. Every rose has its thorn, as they say. But when I look at Tenshi Moyo OVA 3, 4, and 5 specifically, even cracks of it in OVA 2 to some extent, although OVA 2 has a lot of saving graces, I look at these episodes and it's like, this is not what got me into Tenshi at all. It's mutated. It's it's come back as something else, something not what I remember. And I'll be honest, I've made my peace with that. The OVA is not what I enjoy, and I'm cool with that. I'm okay to walk away from this. As a good friend of mine in 2006 said, you need to know when to walk away. And something I've done in my life is learning when I need to walk away from something. Am I walking away from Tenshi as a whole? No. I'm sure with the fact that now Toei has actually obtained the ownership of the property, we'll probably have a reboot of the series in due time. That'll happen. The carnival comes and goes, it always comes back to you. And that's one of the small hopes that I have. However, if it doesn't come back, if it lies dormant or the OVA continues, I can say that with all clarity, I've gotten what I enjoy from Tenshi Muyo already. One thing I also want to say is when I dunk on this series, I'll speak for myself specifically, I point out its flaws because I think all pieces of media should be critiqued. All things should be. Everyone's a critic, they say. All things have their flaws, and they should be pointed out and discussed and in a nice, logical, a proper debate, one might say, where you actually sit and argue the logic of it. However, if you enjoy this, cool. More power to you. Enjoy what you enjoy. However, keep in mind that some of us don't enjoy it either. And just as I would like to respect that you enjoy what you enjoy, I would also ask that you respect that I enjoy what I enjoy. And if we come to it at odds and we say that I enjoy this and I enjoy that, let's leave it at that. We can debate the merits and the logic of things as well and have our arguments in that regard. But at the same time, don't attack the person. Attack the argument. Attack the story. Attack the way things are portrayed. And that's what I've hoped I've done here. I'll just come out and say it. I'm of the opinion that anything in the OVA, post-OVA 2, quite honestly, again, in my opinion, just sucks big old dicks. It may sound harsh to say, but, well, it's just the way that I feel about it. Much like Pi and everyone else, I've tried to have reasonable conversations and debates and arguments with people and... I feel like we're at the point now where we just kind of have to call it like it is. And I feel like Tenchi fans, at least all of you who voted on the survey, you've done that. When we put that poll out and when we told people that we were going to do podcasts based on the polls for best of the best and worst of the worst, we had people say that this podcast, specifically worst of the worst, was basically going to be the 
Fuck Kajishima podcast. And look, if you're a fan of his stuff for, you know, whatever reasons that may be, what we say here might rub you the wrong way or get under your skin. But it's like Pi said, no piece of media should go without criticism, Kajishima's stuff included. But hey, if you like this stuff, more power to you. I'm not telling you you can't or you shouldn't. Now, and that's not to say I can't say a good thing about Kajishima. In my opinion, at least back in the day, the man had arguably some of, if not the best, character designs around. I mean, the man knew how to make a, one hell of a character design for some of these characters. But I feel like throughout a large portion of Tenshi fandom history, Kajishima's always been treated with kid gloves or he has been shielded from criticism, whereas a lot of the other creators don't. I've seen a lot of stuff in my time in the however many years it's been since I've been a part of Tenchi fandom. You know, I've seen people say that in the past when Kajishima's had to work with other people, when it came to GXP, oh, Nabashin strayed too far from Kajishima's vision. That's the reason the GXP TV show didn't pan out. Or, oh, Hayashi or Hasegawa, they held Kajishima back. Or, well, they were just there to filter his ideas and keep him focused. He needs an editor. There were a lot of ridiculous things put forward to try and defend Kajishima. With OVA 3 and even 4 and 5, this is pure, unadulterated Kajishima. This is him without any impedance from anyone else. This is him doing what he wants to do, pure, raw, giving it to you the way he says he's going to give it to you, and you're just going to have to like it, take it or leave it. It is what it is. He's even in the afterwards of the Shin Tenji novels made fun of people who are fans of Tenchi Muyo, made up a term called Manny Otaku, making fun of people who just enjoy Tenchi. One of the reasons I feel the way that I do about Kajishima and just the disappointment and dissatisfaction that I feel from what he's done is because in 2014, me, Dagon, Pai, Gu, Chuck, and some of the other podcast regulars, we all went down to West Palm Beach, Florida to meet up with Matt Miller and Patria Burchard, English voice actors for Tenshin Ryoko. And when we went there, the first If Dojin, actually, I think maybe the first two If Dojins had come out. I bought them and took them with me when we went down to Chibipa, the convention that we went to. And we held a panel on Tenchi Muyo there at that convention. And we were showing people I Tenchi Muyo because that had just come out. We also gave people, you know, an overview of the franchise as a whole, the big names in Tenchi, you know, all that stuff. General overview, I guess you could say. And after the panel was over, people would come up and they'd ask us questions. And I put the if dojins out on the table where all of the audience members could come up and look at them after the panel was over. And there was this woman there who had her daughter with her. She was probably, I don't know, six or seven, maybe eight, somewhere around there at the time. And she had named her daughter Ryoko because she loved Ryoko that much. And she loved Patria's betrayal of her that much from the show. And this woman walks up, daughter in tow, and she looks at the if dojins. And then she looks at me and she asks me, why 
why did he do this? Why did Kajishima do this? I loved this show so much. I named my daughter Ryoko, and then he did this to Ryoko and Ryooki and all that he's, you know, she's just asked me, why did, why did he do this? You know, it's a really awkward spot to be in. when You've got a woman holding the if dojin in real life who named her daughter Ryoko asking you why Kajishima would do this characters that she loved so much that she named her daughter after one of them. And I didn't have an answer for her. And the look on her face that she gave me was pretty painful. I'm not going to lie. I not only showed those if dojins to the woman who had named her daughter Ryoko, I also personally handed the if dojins to Matt Miller and Patria Burchard. So Matt Miller and Patria Burchard have personally seen in real life the if dojins. And they definitely had perplexed, to say the least, expressions on their face. And they handed me the if dojins back and they just said, so that's, uh, that's what Kajishima's doing, huh? And I said, yes, it is. Patria Burchard and Matt Miller are aware of the if dojins and what Kajishima's done. So make of that what you will. You know, that's just, uh, one of the reasons why I feel the way I do about, uh, the state of the OVA at the moment. Nobody hates the OVA because of one person. They dislike and they hate the OVA because it sucks. Period. If tomorrow they decided, guys, we're going to make an OVA 6 and it's going to be like this and it does everything great and it's awesome, I'll be there and I'll praise it. But it has to be good. It's not good just because one guy worked on it. It's good because it's good. And that's ultimately something that has been proven through these polls is people have said this is what i like this is what i think is good tenchi and then when they voted on the worst they said this is what i don't like this is what i think is the worst tenchi i don't want it to suck i don't want it to be like this i gave multiple examples of things that i would be acceptable with and that i would love to see or i wish it would have done but it didn't do those things so far for the last 20 years there hasn't been anything worth giving a chance to so until that day comes this is what it is and this is what people think, and this is what we think. And hopefully, hopefully we'll have much greater, better things to look forward to. And I think as Pi alluded to, we will with Toei. Yeah, there's a bright future ahead for Tenchi, I'd like to thank with Toei's involvement. But again, just to add on to what I said earlier, I'm willing to meet Kajishima halfway if he's willing to meet me halfway. You heard it here, folks. All of it. The worst of the worst. You now know what they are. You let us know what they are. and We let you know what we thought of what you voted for. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, all of the places where you do your Tenchi thing. And also make sure that you follow us on Spotify, on Stitcher, all of the places that you get your podcasting fix. We are there. And until next time, stay gold.